Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 123. No one had no tears featuring Julie Beth. I'm Scad and with me as always is my buddy Matt. Yes, hello everybody. And as Scad just mentioned, joining us today is our very good friend, a fellow blood rider. Uh, we talked before, but really I feel like the time that the three of us really bonded with Julie was when she reached out to us saying she was coming through Utah. Do you remember this? And she wanted to know all the places that she should go. She was only going to be here for a short time, and so we gave her some ideas and everything. And I feel like there's where we really kicked things off and started talking. But since then, we've spent time together at cons. Uh, Julie Beth and I have collaborated on musical endeavors to some degree and just had a lot of fun. So, Julie, we are so glad that you're finally joining us on the podcast. Welcome and say hello to everybody. Well, hello, everybody. I am here. I'm excited to be here. I've I've been listening to this podcast for like 15, 20 years. It probably you know, feels that long. We've been around for 25, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, not that long. Um, <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm surprised, Matt. You you fessed up to the uh, the the Utah failure, which is, I think, probably how it lives in Julie Julie Beth's brain, because she wanted to hang out, and we wanted to hang out too, I think. But we were just caught yeah, in bad out. times with family stuff. But so we, yeah, we gave. I think we gave recommendations about a museum and a few other things, or you knew Enzyme about the museum, Peak. Maybe. I remember. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. you told me about the the Leonardo and some pizza place that was really good. The pie, maybe. The pie, probably. Maybe. Was it like a hole in the wall down by the university, kind of up in the? Yes. Yeah, the pie. Yeah. It was really <sighs> good. I don't go there anymore for reasons, but yes, the it's museum delicious. was great. And mm. Salt Lake City, man, that place is gorgeous. Shh, don't tell them was... where we live. <laughs> oh, sorry. Just kidding. <laughs> they all know. It is your city is one of my favorite cities in the United really? States. Really, we city. had such a great time there. Yeah, well, hopefully we can get you back. But in the meantime, uh, Scad and Julie Beth both got to spend some time at Ice and FireCon, and I, someone who didn't attend Ice and FireCon, want to hear a little bit about <laughs> it, as I'm sure our uh, ravenous listeners also want to hear. So please tell us, tell us some highlights. What was fun about it? What did you guys like? Well, I have uh, like a, a dozen bullet points, and so if you don't Holy care crap. about Ice and FireCon, never mind, never mind. Skip Let's ahead <laughs> about probably two or three minutes because it'll take a little time. Just some thank yous and stuff. And Julie Beth, if you have anything you want to add, please do. I feel bad because I missed, I missed. Well, what I, I just want to ask you directly before I get into my stuff. I missed out on some live musical stylings of yourself. I believe it's the Green Bard that you were doing yes. live in in the the hangout area. I was off to we the side. We just set up with, in the lobby. Yeah, I was off to the side hanging out with with Doc John and Anne and a few other people. And I saw you doing it. I'm like, I should go see that. And then I, the time just went away. So I want to hear about that. How did that happen? Did you got did you know him before or are you just kind of like No, I did not. We I don't even remember when we met. We just like we're at all the same panels yeah. and we're chatting. And then he had his guitar and was like, "Oh, hey, you know, I brought a upright bass as well." And you have a ukulele. Brought an upright bass? Oh yeah. He brought an upright bass too. And uh sax. 
I don't know why I gave him that voice. He was a splendid man. I don't mean to be making fun of him. Go ahead. That's amazing. Um, but so he was like, "Hey, let's let's get all our musical stuff out and play at some point." And luckily, I was very glad he had an iPad with like chord charts for all these songs, wow. and we just started ripping through them, and it was so much fun. That's cool. So much fun. That's fantastic. I'm sure truce with envy. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we... it was fantastic. Ice... You and your guitar would have fit right in, yeah. Matt. Ice and Fire con-, con comes to me every every year that I go with an immense amount of joy that I have and also an immense amount of regret for the things that I didn't get to do because there's always stuff you're missing out on. And, you know, I... I had to leave before the Star Wars panel. Oh, yeah. It's on my list. And we'll I... talk about it a little bit. Go ahead. I cannot wait till that video comes out. I am so sitting down and watching that. Yeah, it worked out. It worked out okay. Um, Aaron and and Justin were great. I was fine, uh, but uh, <laughs> just the, I mean, so uh, Pat was supposed to be on that panel with us too, um, and he got engaged that weekend. It was an amazing event that oh most people Woo-hoo. got to see live. Seriously, one of my favorite moments of all that... of this fandom. Pat Darty and, and Senrixian, Mallory, congratulations. It was uh, so beautiful. Congratulations. I actually, I was waiting and waiting, and then I had to go to my room before a commitment I had, and so I missed the actual thing, so I feel terrible about it. But uh, anyway, so he, he had to drop out of the panel because he had other family commitments and stuff after that happened and so we we winged it without him but it it went well i'm excited to see it live too i had a i had a danny monologue unplanned daenerys monologue for a while but i don't know how that ended up sounding i was just riffing so we'll see how that how that came out uh anyway lots of stuff first of all thanks from my end thanks to everybody that came to the davos fingers hangout um it was great to be with the game of owns crew they they brought a lot of laid back fun and they're just <laughs> they're just they seem like really good people we don't know them very well but um mm-hmm. but they seem really cool uh and it, i think we all got along really well uh thanks to ev- all my friends that grabbed meals with me whenever they could uh obi and moats and julie yourself and k2 and cat for letting me watch siege of mandalore we watched we watched several uh Clone Wars episodes, um, the last Clone Wars episodes, and it was awesome. We just holed up in a room for a couple hours. Uh, Chase and I did a karaoke performance that I, I have huge, oh. I have huge regrets about the whole weekend because my voice betrayed betrayed me, and I feel like I like let the fandom down. Uh, but <laughs> my voice sucked. But the karaoke performance was great. Chase did awesome. Um, I think I'm going to share that with patrons. I've got a video of it. I think I'm just going to like post it up. Chase sent me a video. I've seen it. Yes. All, all of it. I mean. I was there. I don't think you got anything more mm. than I got. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thanks, of course, to Tara, the small council, and all the volunteers for making an awesome year. It was really good. Um, it was nice to be back. Uh, thanks to Doc John for the conversation and the smokes, and to Anne as well. Uh, I don't think they listened, but... Uh, Cabeth and Britt did a, a scene that um, that I kind of put together um, called "She Deserves More Than Darkness." That I'm 
I hope someone has it and we get to watch it somehow because I haven't really been able to like see how it looked. Um, but I know it went great. For sure. I know it went great. It was amazing. There was not a dry eye in the audience. Yeah, I heard, I heard there was there was some of that. Um, but uh, yeah, so thanks thanks to Cabot and Britt for sure, and also to the tech crew. I had I actually had like technical effects of lighting uh, that needed to be done because it was mostly in the dark, uh, and so uh, Justin and Cat and K two helped with flashlights at key moments. Uh, that was great. So thanks to them. I already mentioned Moats and Justin for the Star Wars panel. Uh, B word had me running ragged during the riddle panel, but, uh, that riddle panel was a blast. A lot of people participated and it was a lot of fun. So thanks for, thanks B word. And, uh, we got to kick off the con with, uh, the first panel, Radio Westeros and Aziz, uh, and myself for the prologue panel on the Game of Thrones. And that was a really good panel. I really enjoyed being on it. And just thanks to everyone. I shared a conversation, a drink, a meal with, it was every single one of those moments is important guys and we don't get enough of them and it's what makes ice and fire con the most special so thanks to everyone Word. that gave me even a moment um too many people to list but it was awesome i don't know matt if that satisfied your curiosity well said. absolutely jb anything to add um, I had not compiled an entire list of bullet points, but <laughs> I just came up with a few bullet points. It was Ice and Fire Con was just a magical experience. Like it was the first time I went, which was back in 2019. Um, it was, I, I just, I don't even have words. You know, dancing baby unicorns dot gif. Hmm. It's just, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry, gif. If if you believe oh, that way, um, now we hear Jeff. <laughs> yep, here we go. Um, some of my highlights were definitely the fact that I got to be on a panel, y'all. Mm-hmm. I had never done that before. I was on the romantic poetry and a song of ice and fire panel with Maddie and Mary, and that sounds awesome. I was also scared to go into it because they're both brilliant. That's Matt, Maddie K. Ray and, and Maester Mary. Yeah. Yes. And I am just me, not necessarily as brilliant, but you know what? It went really well. And oh, I don't recall the context, but whatever the context, I was suddenly moved to read the entirety of the lyrics to Possum Kingdom by the Toadies because it fit perfectly. <laughs> Possum Kingdom by the wow. Toadies. Here we go. I think it Circa had something 97 to do with or something. The Boltons. Anyway. <laughs> well, if you don't know Possum Kingdom by the Toadies, it's first of all, I think musically it's one of the most perfect pieces of music ever written. It just it starts, it has a middle, it has a, a climax <laughs> and then it ends. It's just so good and tight, just really well done, but also the lyrics are creepy as anything. I love it. I'm going to have to go give it a re-listen. I don't remember being particularly So if nothing else, look up youth, the lyrics. But... For sure. Let's all do it. Let's all do it, everybody. Um, you don't have to right now. But that was like my crowning achievement of the whole con. Besides playing lots of music, I was barred for a couple days in my vaguely medieval-ish Children of the Forest-y outfits. <laughs> 
mostly because I have a cloak and I have like lots of colorful stripes to wear. So, uh, but I had a bard hat provided to me by my boss who's big in the SCA and I carried around my ukulele and uh, the afternoon where Sanri was proposed to, I was being a bard and I was out on the patio with, um, with Maester Mary and all the folks from um, Learn with Hands. The Westerosi Bar Association. Yes. And we sang a couple of tunes from the hit series, A Game of Thrones, if you've heard of that. Um, there's this one song <laughs> <laughs> that the Lannisters play right before the famous Red Wedding happens. Uh, we played that song, Reigns of Castamere, and we all sang it together. It was magical. And we, of course, the Jenny song. That was another highlight. Um, I also, I guess I'd like to thank K2, Cav, for being my partner in crime for much of the con. And also, I was grounded by the fact that B Word and Justin were there. Oh, I was only missing my mat to grounding. have, to have like the full complement of the original, the whole, the whole crew. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, well, thank you. I'm glad you guys had such a great time. Oh, we did. Um, what a wonderful recap and wonderful testament to the people and the organization that is Ice and Fire Con. So thanks everybody for putting that together. Also biscuits and gravy. <laughs> oh, we never shared biscuits and gravy, no. but I had biscuits and gravy every day. Me too. Every day. Oh, I, I, I tell you what, I missed most people at breakfast. I ate alone most, most mornings. I was up early and done and that was shocking. Dad life, apparently. Well, well, well. Yeah. Apparently. Uh, moving on. Films get fingered update. Matt, who won the poll? Rogue One. Rogue One. We're doing it. Rogue One. Scatty, Brooke, and I did it clear. We we fingered the Rogue clear back when it first released, when it was still in theaters. I think it was one of the last things uh, Brooke did with us. I think. Very well like, could have been. It was this, and then it was very like well the recap been. for Storm. And then I think that was it. Oh my goodness. Well, now I'm sad. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, it'll be fun to approach that with a fresh set of eyes with a few years behind us and uh, also bring in our friends. So patrons, these films get fingered that we're doing lately are in the format of a hangout with all of you. So we would love for you to join us on well, Patreon. Anyway. Yes. Uh, join us at the Dirty Cab Driver. Dirty Cab Driver level, tier. $10, $10 and up. Get to participate. And then uh, look out for that link that will be coming soon to meet up with us and chat about what, what, my second favorite Star Wars film. Rogue One. And uh, one that's uh, definitely polarizing. Um, should lead to some good chats. Yeah, and, and all patrons can watch that, so uh, look for it. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and then last thing, and you got something coming up. Wheel too. of time. It's so late. I owed one at the end of April. Uh, I didn't deliver because of ice and fire con. Uh, and now it's getting to the end of May and I still haven't delivered it. I was ready to record and then just ran out of time. So I owe that. And then I'm, I'm going to try to squeeze two in Matt. I'm going to try to squeeze one in like this weekend. Uh, and then I'm going to try to squeeze one in one more toward the end of the month. So wheel of time stuff coming. Sorry for the delays. But uh, and then we've got to we got to figure out what's coming next for us for our special episodes. We could go back to yeah. what ifs or we've got lots of options. So 
We got lots of options, which brings up that uh, we finished, we concluded our coverage of Grant Piercy's I Am Mercury series. And that has been, uh, it's all on Patreon now, all nine books, mm-hmm. front to back. And it was a lot of fun to it do. It was a lot of fun to do. Yeah. What a great series. Pick that up if you have Yes, it. absolutely. And then read it. Yeah, pick it up and, and read read the words on the inside as well as the cover. Correct. Because, uh, Grant, if you're listening, I haven't started reading your Erased series yet. I have all of them. Have not read. So. Well, you better get take my own that. advice. I haven't. I also have Right now. Right now. Uh, all right. Uh, so this, moving on, moving moving to the chapter at hand that Julie Beth has chosen, she has chosen the blind girl from the from Dance with Dragons. And two already chapters in a row for us, Matt. It's been a while since we recorded because we got interrupted with Song of Madness and Ice and Firecon and stuff. But uh, the last time we had Steph on, she chose an Arya chapter. And now we have the blind girl, which is the second to last look we get at Arya, period. Unless you count sample yeah. chapters. Uh, and as ever, she masters her non-vision senses and learns secrets in Bravos while navigating the, I, I find, very confusing, both philosophically and layout-wise, uh, House of Black and White. Uh, I think we'll reach back into Feast probably a little bit for her recent history, maybe even forward into Winds. Um, so actually, for the first time in a while, perhaps, spoilers beware for T-Wow, because we might talk a little bit about it. Um, but Arya's been isolated to Bravos for a while, um, so her story doesn't really branch out much into the other characters. So not much probably reaching across the aisle to other, to other spoilers. Just probably pretty Arya-centric today. Arya-centric is an okay type of centric for me. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Our Kalisar is uh, our, a prized possession to us. So reach out to us at uh, wearedavosfingers at gmail.com. You can always find us on Twitter at Davos Fingers. We're on Facebook. Or you can always get on to Patreon. Please do at patreon.com slash davosfingers. And Julie, you haven't, guys, you haven't heard much from Julie. She had to feed the cats. Cats need fed here, people. But she's back now. Julie, how can your adoring fans, family, and Kalisar get in touch with you? Well, mostly I'm on Twitter. And I'm at Julie Beth on Twitter. Or I suppose you could look for Sir Julie Beth of Tarth. I think that's my username now. But uh, Julie Beth on Twitter. I have an Instagram account, Julie Beth 3000 but it's not as exciting as my Twitter account. And her Twitter <laughs> account is plenty exciting. So. Is, there, oh, is there a fun yeah. story of how you landed on 3000? It's, it's not, no, it's not okay. that exciting. No, I predate, well, actually, I don't know if I do. Because back in the day, uh, say probably 1998 or so, I had to choose an email address and everything was all ooh y2k uh, such and such 2000 and i was like julie beth 3000 <laughs> i hope i hope it was a throw to uh i love you 3000 from the marvel movies but it's okay no all right let's dive into chapter summary part one bring up on the foot pulse face sticking with the pointy end aria on the foot Paul's face, sticking with the pointy end. Ah. Arya awakens to an unending darkness, a 
departure from her wolf dreams, of shimmering snow, of her wolf cousins, of sheep and man, and of full bellies. She could still taste the blood. She washes her face and gets dressed, saying her prayer, starting with Sir Gregor and ending with Circe as always, relishing the day when she is no longer the blind girl, when she can focus on tasting their blood. She's growing bigger, stronger, and her other senses have grown finely attuned without the benefit of sight to guide them. She follows her nose and her memory of the path to breakfast, which is sardines, bread, and watered wine. And who are you? the kindly man asks. No one, she replies. But he isn't having it. He knows she is Beth the blind girl, and asks if she would like to have her eyes back. But Arya knows it comes with a catch. Yeah, that's right. Getting her eyes back also apparently means leaving the House of Black and White, and she doesn't want to do that. So she declines and goes through the morning ritual they have, wherein she tests. She tells him three new things that she learned the previous day. After some quibbling, they land on these three facts. Some drunken men say that Tormo Fregar will be the new sea lord. A sex worker named Savrone is with child and suspects the father to be a Tyroshi man she killed, and the Merling Queen. The Merling Queen has chosen a new mermaid, a girl of 13, penniless and lovely. The blind girl, no one, and Arya grab their stick and make their way to their chores. Feller Doharis and all that. But while she does, we get some backstory about her current blind state. Every single night they serve her a cup of apparently non-homogenized or otherwise altered milk that keeps her in this state and almost makes her wretch. And apparently, she must stay blind until the darkness is as sweet as the light, they say. Or just until she asks to no longer be blind. Yeah, but in that event, she'll be sent away. Instead, she was taught how to use her other senses to navigate the House of Black and White, how to create and identify poisons and potions, how to use her stick to help her navigate, and even languages, too. Yeah, she's learned Bravosi, improved her Valyrian, and is learning the languages of Lys and Pentos as well. She also continued playing the lying game with the waif, and learned to hear the lies and feel them in the lines of the face. She kept her duties throughout, but missing her sight made them difficult, with many bumps and bruises along the way. She also got lost several times, but eventually she learned to hear how the sound of her footsteps bounced off the walls and could feel the air currents on her skin. She could use her nose to tell men and women apart and could identify most people in the house just by smell alone. And this morning after breakfast at the pools where men and women went to die, she smelled two dead bodies. Part of her duties was to find the bodies in the morning and address them before removal. And today she found a dead, handsome young man without any apparent wounds and an old woman who had died but with a smile on her face. The serving men take the bodies below and Arya follows, navigating the maze of tunnels with a memorized ease. She strips the bodies of their clothes and shoes, taking their wealth and jewelry in the process. The woman doesn't have much, a single ring, but the man has four golden dragons from Westeros. As she finished, she heard a door open behind her. And that's the end of that section. Sure is. <clears throat> so, add another identity for Arya. The blind girl. She's been mm -hmm. racking them up, uh, as we know. <laughs> Aerie and Cat. Cat and Weasel and, I don't know. Underfoot. Underfoot. Horse face. Yes. <laughs> just, been, just been racking them up, and she's she just keeps racking more of them up. 
But I'm more interested, I guess, in uh, these dreams she's having. What do you guys think about these wolf dreams? I love the wolf dreams. Yeah? This is a series, as perhaps Scad has noted before, without much evident magic. Sure, it's a magical world, we know there's all this magic, but the warging, the wolf dreams, is one of the most, I don't know, evident in existence, uh, evidence of magic that we have. And it's the one thing that's pretty constant throughout. You don't have to wait 50 chapters to finally get the payoff of something magical happening. It's just there. Yeah. And I love that. It's also like... Interesting. Mm-hmm. It's also like a, almost like an easy, easy to forget magic. Because the, the kids just kind of do it. it. There's no spells. There's no flourish. It's just kind of something they do with these animals that they have. Um, and so it's it's kind of... It's like a lot of the magic in this series. It's very understated. Like, we know it's a magical world. But even, you know, Mel's magic, George undercuts it half the time by saying, ah, oh, she uses a lot of parlor tricks, right? And so it's it's an, it's an a magical world, but the actual magic we get is somewhat limited. Kind of like Lord of the Rings. It's like this magical world, but, you know, very rarely does Gandalf actually do a bunch of really cool magic stuff, you know? It's interesting. Um, but she's... It's kind of troubling, these wolf dreams to me, because she's straight up, like, murdering people in these wolf dreams. As Nymeria, of course. It's a wolf being a wolf. I'm not blaming a wolf for being a wolf. But she doesn't seem to show any sort of remorse for this. You know? I took that same note. I wrote, is there still a sense of morality when she is in Nymeria? Like, does she recognize as a human what she is doing, right? And Or is she kind of uh, not taken over, but is she kind of in that, does she have those wolf instincts when she's in Nymeria and only after does she recall, like, I killed men, I did all this. But before it's just, when she's in Nymeria, it's like, pray, pray, pray. Because this is not great. She's killing innocent shepherds. She's taking their livelihood. She's doing a lot of kind of... Uh, nasty things, you know, we give Bran um, deserved crap for for skin changing into Hodor and kind of taking advantage of him. Uh, but there's a there's a sense of morals here that that bothers me a little bit for sure. But I wonder how much of that she's actually aware of when she's in Nymeria. Like, where does Arya stop and Nymeria begin? You know what I mean? But how much is she aware that she's actually doing these things as opposed it's to not just, just a dream yeah and does she realize it's nymeria and that she's far casting or whatever word you know warging does she realize that i don't know if she's just a little yeah. kid if she doesn't now i think she figures it out with the cat and we'll get to the cat later but yeah if... I was... go ahead i was thinking that just as i said it yeah but but she may yeah. not now at this point in the chapter it's it's more it's more the um like let's assume she doesn't know. Imagine you had a dream where you were a wolf and you were murdering this family man with his sheep. Like I would wake up and I'd be like, "Oh, I was terrible. I killed a guy." You know, she relishes it. She loves it. Right? She loves the freedom yeah. that all of that entails. Yeah. I think she's also feeling 
she's relishing it because Nymeria is relishing yes. it because Nymeria is just a wolf. And that goes back to kind of what so, Matt's saying too, right? It's like, it's it's not really her. It's the spirit of the wolf. It's, you know, so I, I think you're right. I think there's definitely some gray there. It's just a little concerning to me. But The well, difference between Bran and Arya is that Bran had something of a tutor and some sort of awareness of what's going on in Mira and Jojen. Yeah. Arya is experiencing this out of the blue. Yeah. And really has nothing with which to base anything on or to compare against or be like, am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? It's just happening. Yeah. yeah. It's it's like a wet dream. And this right. wild for it. Well, and at one point she <laughs> awesome. doesn't have the wolf dream. She dreams that she's searching for her mother in the Riverlands. And there's, you know, the scary guy with the dog head chasing her. And so that's, and she, that's obviously a callback to being in the Riverlands looking for her mother mm-hmm. with the hound. And she doesn't seem to give it any different weight than the wolf dreams. It's just, oh, this is another dream I'm having. So I don't know how much reflection, introspection she's doing on her dreams. Yeah, sure. Which also speaks to the power she has, that she can do it accidentally. Right? She's. We've brought this up before, I think, when we talked about this chapter or, or other ones. But Arya is, without training, without trying, or may, or maybe you could argue she's trying really hard on the inside. She's crying out for help so badly. You could make that argument, I suppose. That she's able to reach across the sea to Nymeria and skin change with her without even knowing what she's doing. And I, I've made the argument that I think she's actually the most powerful skin changer of the Starks because of that. Um Bran will probably surpass her, but um, I don't know, man. I, in terms of Bran surpassing her, there's some stuff going on with the cat, which I found very interesting this time around. But we can hold off until we get to more of the cat like stuff. Like switching, yeah. I think I know where you're headed, but yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, just uh, yeah. I I I took more notes on the wolf dreams this time as as I don't know felt they were more interesting on this read-through as frequently happens with these read-throughs um it also notes that she's you know she's been doing it a lot for a long time right this isn't almost nightly you get the impression for and for you know months i think right i mean it talks about it in the previous chapter um in in feast that she's doing it um and that's you know weeks before this takes place I have lots of quibbles about the timeline. We'll get to that. I know everyone loves it when I quibble with the timeline. But uh, I think she's been doing it a lot. And she it says she learned it, she learned it early, as if she's been doing it for a long time. She learned it early that the full belly for the wolf would not feed her. Mm-hmm. That's called out as a specific lesson that Bran learns, too. Yes. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's one of the things uh, Jojen mentions to him. He said, Jojen's like, you can't stay in there forever, man. Like, you got to come out here and live your life, you know? Uh, Just because you're full in there. (laughs) You're right. You got to eat here. Yeah. You'll get get weak. Well, so I sort of wondered, I thought I had, um, one reason I love this chapter is actually all of these Bravos chapters. Um, But I feel like this one does it more, although I did not pour over every chapter to count instances um 
I feel like this one is just so grounded in the day-to-day what she does to get through the day she pulls on her socks she has this for breakfast she you know so and so slaps her but then this next thing happens it's just so grounded just so down to earth and that is communicated so well by george r r martin using sensation or his descriptions of sensation and the senses like she smells this she sees this she tastes this the pepper oil gets in her cut on her hand and stings so and he's describing all this partly to tell us how she is learning from being at the house of black and white but especially once she becomes blind she's learning to use all her senses she's learning to identify people by smell and by hearing and i'm wondering if this sort of environment is maybe enhancing her warging skills Mm. or maybe even kicked it off in the first place just living in a day-to-day moment-to-moment existence much like a wolf might where everything is dependent on what you can smell and hear i don't know i i I made that note too julie beth you explained it better than i put in my notes though the fact that she's in many ways becoming more wolf-like with with this reliance on her senses sniffing people out and recognizing people by their scent you know mm-hmm. moving in the dark like she does she's becoming more like a wolf while she's uh, enhancing her own human senses which is pretty cool i think there's no doubt that this is enhancing her skin changing ability that's cool well, maybe she's more like a cat in some ways <laughs> feral animalistic <laughs> all the above yeah for oh. sure Huh. Yeah, I, I never thought about that. I, I I love that. She makes a choice here uh, to be blind. She can stop doing that whenever she wants. We know that there's some some sense of if she gets kicked out, she doesn't know where to go. Before she joins the House of Black and White, she very much has that what am I going to do with myself kind of feeling. So she might be staying for that reason. But it just made me wonder, like, if you... I don't know. When I was a kid becoming an adult, I I felt like I had to just get to the next step, always get to the next thing. Like I didn't have any sense of like, oh, I better travel for a while and just, you know, soak it in. But I wonder, like, taking an opportunity that, that like you knew you could get your sight back, would you do that? Would you would you take a few months and be blind to like enhance your sen- your senses for the rest of your life? Kind of a like. What an opportunity for her if she's willing to take the time, right? I know it sounds weird to put it that yeah. way, but like, do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And these are really hard lessons for her to learn, yeah. but they are incredibly beneficial. Now, are, is is the kindly old man and the waif's purpose for doing this altruistic and just meant to make her better? Absolutely not. It's meant to uh, bring in an, uh, another revenue source in terms of creating another assassin, I think. But... Um, it's incredibly beneficial to her development as a person and of course to her arc as she's going to go back to Westeros with all of these skills, I think. Well, it kind of reflects a bit of her character. I mean, yes, she has nowhere else to go if she leaves, but she's also just stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, I'm not giving in. Yeah. That's too, do this that I'm going to do this. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. She's, I'm going to prove that I, Arya Stark, am no one. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't remember whether it's this chapter or another one uh, around it because I read a, you know, a few of them, but she very much just has that sense of like not minding hard work. She's just like, this is what I'm doing right now, and I don't mind doing it. And I'm going to do it a good job, and I'm going to get better at it, and this is what I'm doing right now. I'd be going nuts. I'd be like, what am I, For his... what is next? What? <laughs> right? But she's just, do it. Those are the grindstone. For... Yeah, for as wild as Arya is, and we talk about how she's kind of feral in a way and everything, she also seems to thrive under structure. Mm. Almost like she craves it a little bit. She needs to have something to do. The guy comes out of nowhere and starts beating her up. And then in the same paragraph, she's like, she waited for him for a minute. And then she went back yeah. to work. That's like almost exactly what it says in the thing is yeah. she waited, tried to hear if he was breathing. And then went back to her work. Like, if I just got beaten like that, she, I'd be wallowing against so the wall well for that. hours. Like <laughs> She's like, okay, I'm going to take a minute yeah. before I start searching the dead guy again. Yeah. She goes out for an entire day from before dawn till after dark working as cat of the canals. And maybe I'm on the wrong chapter suddenly, but it just shows her work mm-hmm. ethic. She goes out for the whole day, yeah. sunrise to sunset, and then immediately jumps into working on potions and poisons with the wave for hours. True. Yeah. That is the previous chapter to this one. That's right. At the end of feast. Uh, but, but is very, in... yeah. A hard worker. Yeah. yeah. You give her a task. She'll do it. You mentioned the kindly and man. And then do more. <laughs> you mentioned the kindly man. Do you think that name is meant to, I, I hate this dude. And I've never understood why. <laughs> We consider him, him kindly. Him. He introduces himself to Arya with the worm trick in his face, which is terrifying and mean. She doesn't care, but it's mean to me. I don't like it. And then he's just mean to her the whole time, and yet she calls him the kindly man. Like, do you... After what she's been through, he's hmm. kindly. Kindlier than Sandor, I guess. Kindlier than the torturer. The tickler. Mm-hmm. The tickler. Yep. Yes. And she's progressing under him. Mm. There's a lot to be said about ends justifying the means in terms of like I you know, I'm in, involved in youth sports, so I see coaches who are not kind to their players. And there's a fine line of going like, okay, at what point is this helping the guy develop and at what point is it de- abuse? But uh I think she's seeing results and she likes that. What about the stick beatings? So, like, is that just the is that just the secret ninja training, and or is there psych, is it psychological? What's the what do you think he's do? Why is he doing that? It bothers me. I think it might be a response to her stubbornness. Mm. Not that he's trying to beat it out of her, but that he may figure that's the only way to train her. Uh-huh. To put her up against a wall and make her push through it. Correct. That's what I think. I like that. And it works. I mean, she's getting better and better. Yeah. I would not thrive under that. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, stop. Give me my eyes back. Well, it kind of goes maybe back to what Matt was <laughs> saying about their motivations for why they're doing it overall. You know, we, we've talked about this a little bit, Matt, in previous episodes, I think, of, you know, are they just grooming another soldier? Or do they know it's Arya and she's special they in some way? Arya. They do know. But, like, is that a reason that they're treating her a little bit differently and putting her on a fast course and all this other stuff, because she might have ins politically to places that maybe 
others couldn't get to. It's all about money, IMO, with these faceless men. It's all about money. Yep, they see a big-time moneymaker with her for all the reasons that you're saying, Skip. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into some of that, I think, in the second half of the chapter. These guys too. are full of crap. <laughs> these guys are so full of crap. Yeah, I have some on that for you. <laughs> Good. It sounds like we're all on the same page for this. Because I find... House of black and white and faceless men are just a, it's a bunch of malarkey. I find the rules to be uh, very concerning. Yeah. With this <laughs> okay, whole thing. We'll talk, we'll talk about, about that. that later. <laughs> I do like that Arya is beginning to... Or, or the way that she's finding... a a way to skirt what the faceless men are asking her to do they're asking her to leave herself and her identity behind and she's able to sort of do that without truly leaving herself behind because of this skin changing ability it's like she can simply transfer herself into what she calls the night wolf right and then she can still say yeah i'm leaving myself behind da, 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 because every night i become my true self while i'm sleeping um it reminds me a little bit of Moon Knight, which I just finished mm. watching, everybody. It's a great little first season. I liked um, it a lot. I liked it too. But then, like, her morning prayer, she gets up and she immediately says her morning prayer. And she recognizes, she's like, oh, crap, I'm not supposed to do that anymore. Um, but she's definitely uh, got a foot in both camps in regards to this. She's not... She's, she's doing... She's not committed to what the faceless men are selling. She's not buying it. She's not drinking the Kool-Aid. Just the milk. But she's thinking, what can I get out of this? And uh, good for her for doing that, I think. Yeah. I think part of her wants to buy it. She's just not very good at buying it. <laughs> um, sure, sure. I want to believe. Yeah. I think, I, I don't... I think she's also pulling from... She repeats... The only one I have handy in front of me is... It keeps the chapter continuously has her say one thing and think another thing. And when it's describing what she's thinking, a lot of times she repeats little mantras to herself, like still a stone or I don't know. There's more than that. Yes. And I feel like that's a skill she got from Sirio for all. Yes. Right. I, uh, his, <laughs> his water dancing. I think she wants to take pieces uh, I think she's taken pieces of all parts of her journeys here and is combining is it to who she's becoming, right? But I don't I think she the part that she wants to believe and buy in on is a the physical skills that she's learning for sure. Like the assassin stuff, she's loving that. I think she likes it. I think she's somewhat addicted to it, and it's a little concerning. Uh, frankly, like a lot of people give Arya a pretty big pass for her violent tendencies, and she has them and it's a little scary. I love Arya, but it's a little scary. Um, but she also, not just the violent stuff, I think she very much does want to be able to kind of separate, probably because of the trauma she's gone through, to separate herself from these feelings and to be someone else for a while and really put it aside. And so I think she does... I think it's definitely a way to cope. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right, Julie, that she, she does kind of want to believe some of this stuff and to be able to succeed in fooling them. Because then she'd actually be putting it away and not have to be thinking about how terrible her life is right now. But I still think she's pretty terrible at putting it aside. Almost everything she thinks of relates back to her old life. She talks about what the wolf dreams are a big one Matt already talked about. She talks about having a water dancer's body and how important that is to her. 
and that's clearly going back to her old life. She talked even taking the name Beth, even taking the name Beth is referring back to somebody she knew in her old life. Uh, she talks about or, the killing, killing uh, Darren, uh, the singer, feeling justified for it even after she got admonishment for doing it because those are old rules and old laws that she still finds to be important that she had to execute. Oh, that was that was Ned talking right there. Yeah, it's like almost almost everything she thinks is still tied to that old life. She's thinking about tasting the blood, you know, tasting the victims of her list. She's not letting any of that go, you know. So she's they're using her, but she's using them too. And I think the kindly man knows that she's using them because he says, "You're not no one. You're still Arya, and we know it." You know, it's it's almost like that. That's that's part of the question for my motive for that I have about their motivations is like they know she's full of shit. They know she's not buying all the way in. They're still willing to do it. It's a little weird, right? Right? Like you'd think usually they want all buy-in, but they're letting her succeed. And they're letting her keep go yeah. through it anyway. They yeah. see some advantage. Yeah. Right. To themselves. A reason to keep her. Yeah. Although about about her morality, I mean, she's what. 11 by now she's or 11 how- at yeah. this point maybe 12 yeah maybe 12 and it starts off with her being nine is that right yeah i mean mm-hmm. think how much trauma she has witnessed now she has not been raped or hugely beaten or murdered but she has witnessed countless people have all of this happen to them the ptsd Correct. and dissociation must be enormous with this little girl yeah which, come to think of it, maybe helped a lot with the warging. Mm. Um, but uh, I'm not saying her morality or lack thereof is justified, but I'm not sure. I, I mean, that's why I give her a pass. I do hope she... I don't know. I don't know what I hope for her, to be honest. <laughs> well, I think that's part of character analysis, is just looking at a character. You can still be concerned by what's going on, but also understanding where it's coming from and acknowledging yeah. that her experience is different than anyone else's in this book. Part, part of my language of not giving her a pass, Julie Beth, is, is trying to be consistent with the way I've presented other characters. I don't give Bran a pass either for the stuff he's doing, even though morally, you know, like he doesn't probably know exactly how wrong what he's doing is. He starts he to sure. he starts to feel some of it. He can feel Hodor's going away, right? And so, it's it's not that I it's not that I think Arya's evil or terrible. It's just that we we judge some of these kids pretty harshly sometimes, and I think Arya deserves some. You know, we we have to acknowledge what she's doing. You know, she's fully okay with murdering people. They seem like choices she has to make to, for her own survival, and so you know we kind of let it go. And and I think that's an okay thing to do too, but she's okay murdering people. And that's not a great place for her mind to be. Right. She's eager to, you know, especially by the end of this book. Yeah. She's eager to carry out the killing of her first hit. So, and, and, but, but you can see the morality in her. This is the next chapter on that we're talking about here, but you can see her morality in the struggle because she's trying to convince herself that he deserves it. Right, mm-hmm. there. Are, he deserves sure. this. There's a reason Just I'm like doing. Like Darian deserved right. it. Yep. Even though the you know the kindly man convinces her that's not her job, right? But 
Yeah, because the gods choose. Right. Right. <laughs> I'm so confused about all that. We'll talk about it. Uh, um, I thought Valar Morgulius was personified in the young handsome man and the old woman coming to die on the same day. Mm. At first I tried thinking, who are these people? They've got to be some sort of character. George doesn't describe characters without like, you know, putting some writing on the wall of who that is. <laughs> it's the son of some Celtigar somewhere. So I don't know. But uh, I think that in this case, maybe there's a theory I missed, but I think in this case, it's just meant to personify that death comes for us all, uh, whether the young or the old and everyone has their reasons. And I think that that's just on the theme of the House of Black and White and Valar Morgulius in general, that you had this young, handsome man who probably had the world ahead of him. And you and who knows the reasons why he thought he needed to, to end it. And then you also have a woman who the story that Arya tells herself is that maybe she missed her husband and just was ready to go and went happily with a smile on her face. Um, so I think that's George just speaking to those things with those two examples. I like it because I was struggling with with why we included two bodies instead of one or any at all. You know, he's giving it to us for a reason, but I didn't have much. That's interesting. Huh. It's also it. I was looking for a meaning in the in what they left behind: the young man with his the dragons, and the older woman with nothing. A ring. Much. Mm, a ring, yeah. yeah, the ring. But right, there may not be any meaning there. The ring signifying what was important to her, maybe, was her relationship with her husband at the time, if the ring was indeed from him. Ring usually symbolizing marriage or being in a committed relationship. And I think the young man, is it shows, like I said, that the world was ahead of him. He had money. He had means. He was handsome. And still, for whatever reason, we don't know, death came for him, too. It's also interesting because you can see in Arya trying to make these stories up for these people that she's still trying to explain death. She mm -hmm. wants a story. She wants understand to understand it. what happened to these people and why, what led them here. Yeah. If the kindly man were doing this job, you'd just see two bodies. And he wouldn't right. be asking those questions about death, probably. Which in the end is what they are, right? No matter what they were like in life, this old lady and this young man, they all ended up in the same place, getting undressed by a little blind girl, and having their <laughs> earthly possessions stripped of them and probably their faces cut off a little later. Carne por la máquina. <laughs> Uh, so you touched a little bit earlier, Julie Beth, about um, the blindness component of this. I think it was you. Maybe it was Matt. Um, and how how she had to go through the day to day to like learn how to do all this stuff. Mm -hmm. Do you, I don't know anything about being blind. I've never known anyone closely that was blind. Do you think George did a bunch of research on this? Does it seem realistic to you guys? He doesn't, a lot of the time he doesn't fuss to like this level of detail with things. Um, you know, how timelines, how much it takes to feed an army, gold values and comparatively through the different chapters. He, he kind of just leaves some of those details behind. But he's very careful to go through a lot of detail here. Do you think he, do, did he do a bunch of research here? Did he get it right? Do you guys know? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Feels good. Yeah. I don't know either. I do know a few vision impaired folk, but I don't know enough about their day to day. Yeah. Al Pacino I did do know... a ton of research okay. for Scent of a Woman, just like interviewing people, uh, just lots of people and hearing their whole story from before 
they lost their sight and and after and how their lives changed and everything. I just wondered if George did research for that kind of thing. So the only thing I know anything about is very limited experience in the chorus I sing with. Uh, we this semester and last semester we did our rehearsal in a big, huge Lutheran church. So kind of like a cathedral, like very tall ceilings nice. shaped like a, the building is shaped like a cross, like with a wide, long, a long part and then a shorter cross part, but it's the whole building. Um, it's really resonant in there. It's a glorious place to sing with a whole bunch of other people. The sound is just amazing. But uh, just to have a small group of people rehearsing, there's three amongst us who are vision impaired and they will have a real hard time sometimes depending on where the voices are or where the director stands, just being able to triangulate where things are. And I did mm -hmm. think of them when I, I think somewhere in there, it talks about how the sounds were different in the entire house of black and white, that even the pool of water, you know, made a mm -hmm. different echoing. So he's either observed that or, to some vision impaired. I like that. I'll take that as a yes. He did research. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And Kalisar, if any of you have experiences to share, I'd love to learn more. So tell us about it. It's a good question, Scad. Okay. I have Go ahead. one minor observation. At the beginning, she wakes up, she's looking around, find it. There's a huge amount of detail paid to the clothing she puts on. She finds her small clothes mm -hmm. and she puts on the tunic. She pulls on her socks and there's all these sock details. And then it skips straight to breakfast. Did she put on shoes? Uh oh, that's a good it question. It mentions boots later, but it never. I think she <laughs> pads that, around in her socks. I think that's bothered me for the last like 10, 11 years since I read it the first time. It's interesting. I was like, wait. Especially since I believe she wears boots, which implies laces or at least some kind of fastenings that would take a while to, you know, wouldn't that be worth mentioning if you're going to go into detail about her songs? I don't disagree. I, don't I wonder. It's inconsequential, but. <laughs> one of the things she talks. You want to know about the shoes. One thing she says is that she almost <laughs> fell down the stairs, but because of the balance she learned from Syria in a previous life, she was able to kind of catch herself. The. <gasps> feet well i don't know right but but you know the senses if you're just trying to feel your way around you can kind of get more control with your feet if you're not wearing shoes right so maybe she kind of leverages i don't know shot in the dark and i think the shoes just make extra sounds that she doesn't want to interfere with the sound oh. she's listening for and and socks. Yeah, that's true. You're going to sneak around, be in socks. She also, though, mentions that the sounds of her feet make help her because the sound goes off the walls and she can, like, use it. But it's probably... Triangulate. Yeah, like Julie said, triangulation. It's probably... Figure out where stuff is. A bit of a catch-22. <laughs> sometimes she wants the sound and sometimes she doesn't, maybe. Yeah. Sometimes she does want to be quiet. Good call. But Good call. Anyhow. Anyhow. Shoes. <laughs> does are you wear them? The, the We ask well, the difficult questions. We do. We do. Just that scene with her sniffing her dirty clothes and putting them on breaks this poor laundry doer's heart. 
Calisar knows how much I love doing laundry and having clean clothes and that just I just want to wash just want to throw them in the wash for I got you girl Monday night's laundry night Matt she explicitly says things spick and span folded and ready for you sister she explicitly says they were clean enough clean enough (laughs) and she's what 12 she's not worried about it yeah we're gonna wash these things for you I'll wash the whites and the whites I'll figure out how to do the black and white robe I got you <laughs> Matt's gonna figure it out. He's gonna do your laundry. I love laundry. <clears throat> uh, so I use the timeline a lot uh, to kind of figure out when events happen. According to, t- I think the timeline's wrong. I'm, I think it's wrong enough that I'm gonna email the guy that maintains it. I think, but according to this, there's only two and a half weeks from when she loses her sight to when this chapter starts, in which time she's learned all of these things, apparently cut her finger to the bone and had it heal, uh, learned several languages, uh, learned how to navigate the entire house of black and white without sight, um, all in two and a half weeks. Yeah, well, that feels... Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of it's... Never mind. Nothing. It's all... The, the timeline is, is, is known, admitted to be like, you know, they're piecing this time together based on events they're seeing and it's a bit of a guessing game. They they admit that, but this one seems pretty bad. I would think you'd need at least a month. Yeah, even with doing it twenty four hours a yeah. day. That's where I yeah. am. So. But anyway, um, and the, the gold. This guy's walking around with four golden dragons, which is like a lot of money. I think somewhere it mm-hmm. says that uh, f- four gold is about what a laborer would make in a year. It's a lot of money to walk around with. Yeah. I think that's intentional. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay. You think it says something about this guy? Uh, just again, that death comes for us all. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter your worldly wealth or yeah. means. That. Yeah. Also, though... I in... thought maybe his, Go ahead. his coins were meant to be payment of some sort. Mm. Okay. Like, thank you for giving me the means to kill myself which is a really wondered about that yeah i was gonna bring this up later but this is a good time which we've got the people that are dead people going to the house of black and white to die is this a service provided by the house of black and white that you could just come and kill yourself and we'll take you and then the the house of black and white just profits off of whatever you have on you at the time plus they get a new face uh or, or is there some sort of donation that you're expected to offer or a tithing almost or something along those lines? I, if you're going to yeah, partake of their services. I had similar wonderings. Yeah. I mean, so we have in the original story of, you know, when this started, you know, the the guy wants his master to die, right? In the mines of Valeria. And they're like, oh, that's an interesting request. Usually they want to die themselves, which would be what these people are doing, right? And they just honor that. They bring the gift to the people that want to die themselves. And then this guy wants his boss to die instead, and they make him become a servant for good, right? For their life. So do they... So these people that come to die, they shouldn't have to give anything. They're just asking for death, right? It doesn't mention in the original story that anybody paid anything. They just they're giving up their life. 
Um, which the the guy did have to give up of himself, and then it said, and then they were two in a very Sith way. Well, he had to serve, implying that he had to serve yeah. going forward to get them mm-hmm. to kill the other guy, right? Correct. Which also makes that me wonder: Arya's serving now. Is she earning? Is she earning a death? Like, if you serve, do you get a call out somebody to die? You have like an allotment every year. It's like earning PTO. Well, maybe it's one. Maybe it's just one. <laughs> but like, it implies when that... you reach five years, you get a, a second. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're making a very nice point, and I'm I'm not making a point. I'm making light of it. I'm question. Sorry. I'm I'm admitting that I don't think we know much, but no, we don't. But you know, we know that they take money to kill people. We know that they let you kill yourself, and we know that you can come serve for whatever reason i'm with you on the why go here to die like that's some real evil torment for your family if they see your face walking around somewhere somebody else is wearing it like that wouldn't be great i don't know what the motivation would be to come here to do this it's peaceful i guess it's peaceful and painless yeah. they've said that you know the, the old lady was able to go with the smile on her lips it's yeah something to do surely they terms. have to Sign some, <clears throat> sign some sort of contract that says we won't use your face for the next five years. Oh. <laughs> After that, I thought, I thought you can use my face in the following countries. I, yeah, I thought you meant like a like a like a no death waiver clause. Like if you don't happen to die, you can't hold us responsible for not dying. For cutting off your face while you're still alive. It's, I make fun of it because it's all just crap. It's all just a bunch of crap. We'll get more into that, I think. But I think I agree with you. Uh, I think this is it for all I've really got for this first section. Do you have anything more for this section, Duva? No, I do not. Well, let's spend some time getting to know you then. Yeah. My favorite question that we always ask is the first one because I feel like every single person struggles with it. Who are you? What do you do and what drives you? Well, um, who am I? I I have a day job. I'm a data analyst for a marketing and PR company. Oh, interesting. Um, It actually is really interesting. I hadn't done this ever in my entire life. And I got a random job during the pandemic and it turned into this. And I'm like, oh, I actually like doing this. So that's cool. Hmm. I'm learning how to So this to code, is fairly recent. So. Yes. So nice, very cool. Prior to that I worked in basically inside sales for years. And well, I was gonna bring this up later, but I'll bring it up now. <laughs> I think one reason I so identify with Arya and actually Brienne, um, is their similarity in to me <laughs> in the fact that I just never so many things I've tried to do in life, I just did not fit in. Hmm. I'm not any good at being corporate. I'm not good at it at all. I can try as hard as I can, yet everyone's like, you're not, <laughs> you're not one of us. <laughs> I don't know. It just, um, I've had many identities, much like Aria, and just never, hmm. none of them ever fit. Um, I think this one as a data analyst actually is going real well. So hmm. maybe that's what I that's what I'm going to be when I grow up. Um, but that's just my day job. I've always been someone with a day job. 
Uh, I think what really drives me is music. It's my first love. I actually was a music major, piano performance major my freshman year in college. Oh, no way. But then because of the my hometown and feeling all this pressure that maybe was somewhat self-imposed, I was like, no, I need to be a scientist. So my degree is in biology and huh. I moved to Austin actually to get a PhD in botany and that didn't work out <laughs> or I, uh, I'm not a grad school type, at least not a <laughs> word. Yeah. Huh. So I dropped out of grad school and I still live here. Um, but all this time I've done music in some form or another. And so honestly, that's probably what most drives me. There's always music playing in my head. I've always got an instrument at hand or I sing nonstop and irritate my family a lot. So. <laughs> I love it. Do you, so do you sing a lot at home that too? Oh yeah. Too much. But uh, I do a lot of mine in the wee hours of the night. Um, I've got a room in my house that's clear in the back. Like it's downstairs. It's, we live in a long, like, Rambler-style home, and we have a room that's away from all of the bedrooms, upstairs or downstairs. It'd be, like, under the kitchen. And uh, I go down there and play, and no one can hear me. It's wonderful. That's where I am right now. Yes. Same, similar room. In the wee hours of the night. Yeah. But you don't, so you don't sing, like, it sounds like Julie Beth is just, like, just like walking walk the house. house singing. Yeah, singing. Yeah. And I may have theme songs for, like, members of my family oh nice <laughs> beautiful i love it one of my favorite episodes of you... how i met your mother is uh when they focus on marshall saint do you, do you guys watch that show nope no marshall one of the characters <laughs> jason siegel but someone does who's yeah. listening jason siegel sings just random songs that don't make any sense about everything everything he's doing put put the mayonnaise on the sandwich and like they just make fun of him through that <laughs> I might do that. You do that. Okay. I sing to my animals a lot. Okay. All right. I love that. I love that. I'm a big music listener. Like, I always have music playing in the house. Like, even after dinner, if I'm doing the dishes, like, I'll ask Alexa to play some music. My family's like, come on. You're going to be doing the dishes for, like, five minutes. You're going to get through one song. I don't care. I just want to listen to some music. So. Interesting. Um. Besides the Song of Ice and Fire, any other fandoms that you uh, dabble or dive into? Not really. I mean, I have my own personal party of one fandom, but I haven't. The closest it comes is uh, oh shoot, the Twitter account, the MCU folks that do uh-huh. MCU March Madness uh-huh. that like just wrapped up in May, but uh, did it? Yeah, did no, it finish today? Did I, Bucky win? I don't know. I actually haven't seen a dime for that, by the way. Huh? (laughs) I haven't seen a dime for that, by the way. They definitely owe you at least 50%. I I doubt he's making a dime, but knowing what I know about what we make. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. I'm glad they're doing it. Oh, it's so fun. Everyone just loves that format. Yeah. I think someone else from some other fandom that's tangential needs to pop in and continue just year round i just want to get to vote yeah you could do it um you could it would interrupt my personal music time 
<laughs> do do best albums. Do do Here we are now entertained. Do do June 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 Madness. Julie's June Madness, June where Madness. you just compare albums. We bat on the idea of. I should. Doing... That's my birthday month. Do oh, it for it? myself. It's coming up. Yeah, that would be really fun to do albums. We talked about doing all of my various crushes that I have. Doing a bracket of oh, all of them. Yes. It'd be a fairly big bracket. I listed them all out once. I've got it in my notebook. Didn't B-Word? I think she kept but that, didn't she? That list? She is the keeper of the yeah. list. Yeah, she's got it all somewhere. Anyways. Um, what are some of the ones? I want to know some of the ones that are like, sing. you said that is just you, yourself, and you. What? You fandom, oh, my it's fandom? like Phantom of the Giraffe yeah. behind you or something? Like, what do you mean? Um, oh, you like my Mexican giraffe? It's nice. Um, There's a beautiful giraffe behind her. Let's see, I wrote this. Okay, so my first personal obsession was probably the Chronicles of Narnia. So cool. I grew up Church of Christ, which is very fundamentalist and also not super into religion. I don't know how I ended up this way. So maybe another way I identify with Arya. Like I was just going through the motions. Mm. Um, but so as a kid, I would just bring the book and read it during church. And at some point, my dad sat me down and was like, Julie, you're about to become 12. You're about to turn 12. You're going to be a young lady. You need to think about, you know, higher matters while you're at church. So if you want, you have to pay attention during church. If you want to read during the sermon, you are allowed to, but you can only read the Bible or C.S. Lewis. Well, nice. I chose well. C.S. Lewis. Well. Given that choice. <laughs> so I've read the Chronicles of Narnia. Can do, Father. A thousand times. Um, That's awesome. So that was a huge obsession when I was a kid. Um, probably my second major obsession there were all kinds of book series when I was a kid. The Dark is Rising sequence by uh, Susan Cooper. Oh, my gosh. If you haven't read those, or if you have kids who are, like, anywhere between the ages of 8 and 15, they might like them. We have those. So, hmm. oh, We have so those. Good. We have okay. exactly yeah. those. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, Susan Cooper, The Dark is Rising sequence. And there's five books um, the first one that I read is called The Dark is Rising. And actually, secretly, my son is named after on my behalf. My husband also chose the same name for our son, but from a different, different angle. Different reasons. A much more personal, oh, like cool. legit family reason. Mm. But I love Will that you Stanton, both arrived on the same name, though. That's cool. We did. I was like, I'm gonna, someday I'm going to name my child Will. I did that. Um, yeah, the protagonist, Will Stanton, is the seventh son of a seventh son, and he wakes up on his 12th birthday and suddenly realizes he's one of the old ones. And it all takes place in England, and it's very descriptive. It's like they live out in the country, and there's the old roads, like the old Roman roads that actually are older than the Romans and magical. There is magic all over this series. He has a series of quests he has to go through, and... I don't know. It's so good, and I can't believe it hasn't been made into a major motion picture by now. It's called the Dark is Rising series? Uh, the Dark is Rising Sequence? I don't know sequence. why it's called the Sequence, if that's a British thing or what. But the... Susan Cooper, you said? Susan Cooper. They're so good. Get them for your kids. Yeah, thinking about it. Yeah, my daughter's way into that or stuff. Or just get them for She'll yourself. totally be into it. They're so good. She'll um, totally be into that. 
And then in ninth grade, we moved to Maryland for a year. And so we didn't have very much of our, very many of our possessions with us or our books. I mean, we had stuff to live on. It was fine. But mm-hmm. my dad brought a giant box full of all of his Star Trek novels. Oh. My dad was a big nerd and owned all of them published through that date. Wow. And I didn't have all my books with me. So I spent that year reading all the Star Trek novels. Fun. <laughs> and then watched every Star Trek movie with my dad and all the Star Trek show. And then in college, I would watch Next Generation on reruns every afternoon at four. My friends knew they could not call me between four and five because I was watching Next Generation. So anyway, so did you just never, like, you just kept those, I, I think I'm starting to understand what you meant by personal to me, my Phantom of One. You just never joined any communities about those things because it was before those things really existed online and stuff? Thing. Like, you could join them now. Before there was there was no online at the time? You could join them now, though. <laughs> Think about all the people out there that are super into it. I don't want to lose you. Oh, so I, I, I kind of want to encourage you to go find that. But I could, and I've dabbled a bit in, like, looking for message boards or whatever. Yeah. Uh, websites. But at least what a cool thing to share with your dad. Engaging though. in Twitter conversations. It's a cool thing to share yeah. with your dad. That's a fun touch point. Yeah. Oh, I would come home every from college or after college, and it, they always released Star Trek movies at Thanksgiving. Oh. So I'd come home at Thanksgiving, and my dad would be all, here's our tickets. We're going to go see the movie. Oh, that's my cool. little hometown. That's awesome. It was awesome. That's cool. Um, then, I don't know. I guess I kind of faded out of Star Trek. I don't know why. That's fair. I wasn't that so happens. obsessed. Uh, then, of course... It was Scott Bakula, wasn't it's it? Always... Is that what did it? <laughs> yeah, I mean... No! Um, I was kidding. Poor Scott. He was fine. Um, then, of course, just other book series as they came about. I was an early adopter of Harry Potter, even though I was way too old for it. But I loved Harry Potter. Uh, his, dark, his Dark Materials... Loved those books so much. I'm so old that I had to wait for the third book to come out. Mm. I was like, when is Philip Pullman going to publish it? And finally it made it to our shores. And I got to read that. Um, yeah, and then Harry Potter. And I was very into that. And I was very into that with some friends. So we would have like many excited getting together. Conversations, everything. yeah. Yes, Good. lots of that. Um, I love and so, that. Same with his Dark Materials, actually. Uh, and over the years, I've found other people who have read the Susan Cooper series and so engaged in huge conversations. That's cool. On that. So I've engaged with other people. Yeah. But I'd, I'd say all those kids. So as far as, yeah. It's great. But Song of Ice and Fire has kind of been it in recent years, partly because I had a kid. And he's what fourteen and a half, so that's he and Checks my out. son and my Song of Ice and Fire obsessions kind of overlap. So I only had time so for that, that. Checks out one big obsession. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but most recently I am listening to the Expanse novels. I'm just started the fifth fifth novel. Oh wow! And they're really good. I've seen the series. I'm still only through book one and a half. I'm slow very slow 
Well, it happens. maybe faster because I'm listening. Mm, that would probably help me. Well, let's talk music. We're going to talk some more music. I want to know about Please. the Horde Festival. <laughs> the Horde Festival. I, I surely, I drunkenly told Matt about the Horde Festival. I went to the Horde Festival in something like 1996. Mm. For, for the youngins, tell, tell the youngins what the Horde Festival is. I'm going to say, I'm going to have to look it up. Well, I'll tell it you, was, it stands for Horizons of Rock Developing Everywhere. I Googled that because I was curious. Yes! Oh. And you know who, who started it, right? John. Is a scattered map John favorite. Popper. John Popper! <laughs> Blues Traveler, baby. Blues yep. Traveler. Blues or... Traveler. <laughs> but that's one of the reasons I want to hear about you it. No lie. Because Julie hinted to me that John Popper did some amazing things at Horde Festival. Oh my gosh. Yes, so either... So Dave Matthews Band played, and they were amazing, of course. They were common and at the Horde, yeah. Blues Traveler played, and it was just, I'm not even, I mean, I thoroughly appreciate both bands, but I'm not, like, this huge fan like, of either. Matt. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. they're amazing, but. As long as you can acknowledge that, I'm okay. Oh, I totally acknowledge that. Dave Matthews <laughs> is just an amazing musician. At some point during, I don't recall whose set, and it may have happened more than once during both sets, but I think it was during the Dave Matthews Band. And, you know, they're playing along, and the crowds are just like, yeah. Well, actually very tired and thirsty because they ran out of freaking water at the racetrack where they had this thing. They made an announcement. They're like, sorry, folks, we have no more water. It's like Texas in the summer sun. Fort Worth, oh. Texas, Summer Sun. No water. Um, so they're playing along, and John Popper hops up on stage with his harmonicas, and Dave Matthews is all, what? And pulls out his harmonica, and they start having this total harmonica off for like half an hour at least. <laughs> they're just like, ding, like duetting, and then like dueling harmonicas. It was just. Oh my goodness. Multiple orgasms happening, just like. <laughs> okay, wait, and then there dogs was this, and cats living together. There was this other time, John Popper. I was uh, at Antone's, which is a legendary blues club in Austin. It was during South by Southwest, so all kinds of people were there. I think that was the same year, possibly, that like Ethan Hawke was hanging out and uh, Sandra Bullock and. Uh, Wow. You know, what's his name? Austin, Mr. Austin, Matthew McConaughey. So there were just like people everywhere. All right, all right, um, all right. But so we're just there listening to some music when suddenly this big ass guy like barrels through the crowd of dancers, people dancing, like we're all, what? Throws down his utility belt, his harmonica utility belt, hops up on the stage and starts playing harmonica with the blues band that's up there on the stage and everyone's like holy shit john it's popper. big john popper <laughs> like how cool would it be to be boy. so good at something that no matter where you go you can just do things like that and people are like that's cool go ahead you know yeah like no one don't all... even have to ask permission. yeah no need just... to ask just do it it's fine no he just i think was potentially walking by heard music he liked and was all i'm playing that yeah amazing and just ran in i always have my utility belt harmonica's harmonica's on me yeah. it is my toolkit <laughs> because i'm john popper 
He was probably just walking around at 6th Street with his utility belt on. Well, speaking of lots of instruments, these are just lots of harmonicas, I guess, but you own lots of different kinds of instruments. I do. I do do have a harmonica that I took. I bet you. So, how many instruments do you have, and how many of them can you play? So, I have a lot of instruments, and I can play them at different levels of competency. Sure. But most of them I can play with some level of fooling people into thinking I can play them. Mm. Mm, I love it. So, Mm -hmm. I have a quarter of a degree in piano. I can play that. I've played piano since before I remember. That's so cool. Yeah. Everyone should start their kids early. Did I? No, I failed. Um, but I can play piano. So then at some point, uh, this guy I was playing in a band with sent me an eBay ad. He's like, dude, this is a really cheap accordion. You should buy it because you could probably play it. And I was like, oh, so <laughs> I bought an 80, $80 accordion on eBay about 20 <laughs> years ago. <laughs> and it's my beloved piano accordion. It's a total no name. It does say made in Italy, but like it doesn't have a name on it. So I think Italy, Milwaukee, yeah, Italy, Milwaukee. <laughs> Italy, Wisconsin. Um, so I can play my accordion pretty well. Well, I can play the piano side really well. The buttons I kind of can play. I can make it um papa, so I can make it. That's you know, big. I can play bass along mm-hmm. with myself a little bit. I play bass guitar because that same guy actually yeah, you is do. all. You're musical. Buy you a bass? Will you play in our band? Like, oh, sure. I mean, I had to pay him back, but that's how I got started in bands. So I play bass guitar. I can play real good country bass. I cannot Ooh. slap, but slap the bass. I don't really want to slap. So, slap um, the bass. at some point, I was unemployed and didn't have AC in my house, so I sat out on my front porch for like an entire spring drinking beer and teaching myself how to play ukulele so I can play that. <laughs> and I have too many ukuleles, but uh, yeah. But so you need like a whole room for your instruments. Well, I kind of have the front room for my instrument. Okay. There's a piano over there. There's a harp that I bought like a little kid harp, but I had never really oh, nice. finished learning just to have, and I, well, I was going to learn it and I learned, I got as far as like playing something small and then I just stopped. I feel like so. Julie Beth buys instruments like some of us buy books. <laughs> like aspirationally, we hope to read them someday. Yeah. But maybe they'll just sit in the front room for a while. I have tried to make sure and learn everything. Actually, I think I, ha- I did buy myself a nice guitar, but I've been working on that. Um, but the the harp was kind of the purchase that I was like, no, stop. You've done stop too much. Stop doing that. Why am I doing this? What have I done? <laughs> I well, what? Uh, tell us something in your life that you're super proud of. Um, what am I super proud of? Yeah. I'm super proud to be mushy. I'm super proud of my life in Austin. I have a wonderful husband and a, an awesome son, and I'm really proud of that. And we have this cool house that's too small to have a separate music room, but I still love it. So I guess Mm -hmm. most fundamentally, I'm very proud of my family and my household. We have two cats, two dogs, one hermit crab. Two cats, one dog, and a hermit crab. Well, we had two hermit crabs. Great husband. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. 
Did one eat the other? One of them wasn't nimble enough. So, yeah. (laughs) He was not nimble to crack. (laughs) The other one was. Um, What else? I actually thought about this. What have I done? I'm proud. I volunteered on some... Nobody won, but on some local political races and did a whole bunch of work with that. And I live in Texas where... Yeah. If you're you weren't backing the winners. Liberal, yeah. Yeah, it's yes. hard, especially with everything being gerrymandered so bad. Like, okay, it's two and a half, no, three and a half hour drive to Houston. My congressional district stretches all the way to the outskirts of Houston. Like, it's ridiculous. Yep. Welcome to politics. Yeah. So, Everyone kind of knows it's probably pointless, but a lot of people work really hard yeah. on politics here, and eventually, <laughs> eventually, maybe sanity will take over the state. I don't know about that. Um, Good luck with that. It's Texas you're talking about, coming from Utah. Yeah. So. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm also proud of. I've actually, I'm on some recordings professionally done recordings that are that out, exist out there in the ether cool that i'm quite proud of that is cool. as as yeah. a band or like a bigger choir thing or a, as what as... um as a band as bands yeah uh probably the most prominent although not very prominent i was in a band called the casting couch in around 2006 and our mm-hmm. album called row your boat is killer it's so good row your boat? and the one song really? that i've ever written and brought to finishing is on that song and it's called baby doll and you can go if you want to find it the casting casting couch casting couch okay we're on spotify i think that's what i am just writing to look up on (laughs) how cool julie we've never talked about the casting couch how fun did you play bass for them i played bass and i sang and i played little bits of other things that's awesome but mostly bass well, I was going to ask you to throw out a I recommendation was... for a, a book or a band or a movie or something, but I think you just did. I feel like we kind of did. Casting oh, couch. Oh, everyone Susan go listen Cooper to the stuff. casting couch. Casting couch. And we got the Susan Cooper stuff too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We had some good stuff there. Oh, you know what? Uh, just I've only seen two episodes, but I am intrigued. There's a show called. Oh man, is it called Outer Range? All right, I'm gonna. Oh. Because I'm tired enough that I might not be remembering correctly. It's got what's his face who plays Thanos. Yeah, Josh Brolin. It's on Amazon Prime. Yes, Josh Brolin. And somebody and else. Mm-hmm. Somebody else. Two episodes in, I'm just like, whoa, it's so good. Oh, Lily. Lily. 90s cool actress woman. Lily Tomlin? I think it is called Outer Range. I think Outer Range is correct. Someone's screaming at us right now saying that's what it's yeah. called. Move on, it's out of range. You got it already. Jeez. Yep, out of range. Yeah. Okay, so, cool. I saw that and it was intriguing, but I will not vouch for the end of it because I've not seen the end of it yet. But I've in fact tonight my husband was like, Do you want to watch the next episode? I was like, No, I've gotta read. <laughs> I've gotta do this thing I committed to. <laughs> I've gotta do the podcast. I was like, I've gotta read some more Song of Ice and Fire. He's like Really? Didn't you just go to that thing? <laughs> I did, and that's why I that's have to why read it. Again. You make because I was I was hounding you to come join us. Your your husband and my wife need to commiserate. <laughs> <laughs> they ask a lot of the same questions. Why are you doing more of this? 
No, he's the one. I. He's the one who got me into any of this. Oh, he's only got himself to blame. Save that. He, he saw me being like, I don't have anything to read. I need a new book series. Have you tried that one? And I was like, Oh, I guess I could. Sure. <laughs> hey, I hear they're making a TV show out of it. All right. Well, let's get back to it. Why did you choose this this Ari chapter? You you spoke a little bit about that earlier. I love all Ari. Well, there's that one Aria chapter in Clash that I cannot read again, where horrible rape scenes are being described oh, yeah. to her, and I just mm-hmm. like I can't deal. Can't read that one. Yeah. Um, aside from that one, I love all Aria chapters. Uh, and I chose this one largely because, <laughs> actually, I think my favorite chapter is the previous chapter from Feast that I don't own a physical copy of Feast. Rose, and I didn't oh, realize wow. that until I was looking for that chapter, and I was like, Dear! so um, so I chose this one, which I also I just love. One thing I love about George R. R. Martin's writing is just how sensual. I don't mean sexy, so maybe I'm not using the right word. Well, I think literally sensual, just of like the senses. so yeah. immersive. Yeah, appealing to the senses. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I just love getting swept up in the feel of his writing. I love the food. The food porn is so wonderful. Maybe not so much in this particular chapter, but as an example of what I love about him. There's fog um, porn in this chapter. There is fog porn. Definitely. Um, there's wolf porn. That sounds bad. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> none of them sound great. There's sensation <laughs> porn. I don't know. I just love how this one is so grounded. It gives such a good look at. I don't know. I just really enjoy reading it. I just enjoy following along with her. It just takes me out of what I'm doing. And I don't know. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Whatsoever? Absolutely. It's a, it's a good love answer. It. I think this is a good chapter that embodies a lot of what I love about his writing. I mean, I seriously love his food writing, like her kippers and pepper oil at the beginning, whatever it is she's eating for breakfast. Sardines I'm like, and pepper oil. I want that right now. Oh, it's just fried fish. Matt. Maybe not sardines. Oh, really? Although I love sardines. I love sardines. My bad. Matt and I are, Matt and I are passing, I think, on, on that. On that <laughs> I'll eat the bread that she's mopping up the stuff with. Uh, oh, the minute he starts writing bread. tacos into a Song of Ice and Fire, you'll have my attention <laughs> on the food stuff. <laughs> I think they have tacos in Dorn. <laughs> and Doran Martell <laughs> feasted upon his spicy crunch wrap. He <laughs> 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 sends Ariota out for a Taco Bell run. Uh, <laughs> okay, I didn't realize by tacos Cheesy you meant Taco Bell. <laughs> I, I love Taco Bell. I have to say. Oh yeah, for sure. Do you remember the Enchirito? <laughs> of course they do. That used to be my thing. Taco Bell. My anus doesn't want to remember Ooh, it, but that's why I gave this sign. I knew it was coming. <laughs> I knew. I knew if we stayed on it, we were going to hear about Matt's anus. Uh, I tried to stop you both <laughs> with the, the poop sign. Jokes cannot be stopped. <laughs> The poop jokes cannot be stopped. I'm so um, glad I'm here for this. <laughs> well, if you want to be here for this yourself, patrons, you can join You can us. take the poop out of the mat, but you can't take the <laughs> mat out of the poop. <laughs> so we're going to give a little Patreon shout out. 
<laughs> we announce everyone at the Dirty Cab Driver level and up, and so we'll do that here. We have the minor character extraordinaire. An enemy spy, master of dungeons and lord of dragons. Lindsay F. Little Wolf Bird. K.W. Dent, Batman of the Seven Kingdoms. The heir of House Tyrell. Who I met at Ice and Firecon, wonderful yes. individual. Uh, this one. The Bard of Legends, Aaron M. Check out his podcast. Gib. Ghost Chase Killer. Bobby. GF. And of course, Lady Fatass Red. Been with us for a long time. And then we'll move up to our reach around level where we've got B Word and Mr. B-word. J, the Bear and the Maiden Fair. We're doing them yes. together now. We're doing them together now. Love you, at their request. Mm-hmm. And the Mixed Mage of the Wolfswood. Yeah, and then at our team, John Level stands, our queen of gifts and beauty, Misa. Thank you, everyone, for your support. It means the world and, to us. And those lower tier as well. Thank you, everyone. And we're going to jump right into summary part two. Yep, that's you, Scatty. Who is there? The blind girl asks. No one, is the reply. She grabs her stick quickly to protect an incoming blow from hitting her face and lashes out, hitting nothing but air. Not there. Are you blind? Comes the mocking reply. The blind girl whirled and danced with her foe, a foe whose voice she couldn't recognize. But perhaps these men could change their voices along with their faces. There were eight residents of the House of Black and White besides her. Yes, and her nemesis could be any of them. His stick found his way between Arya's shins, tripping her up. He wrapped her on the ear, and then again on the knuckles as she tried to get up. I am done beating you for today. Arya waits to be sure he has left, and resumes her work as her brain drifts to better days as cat at the canals. She missed that life, her family and customers, the girl she had created. But when she killed Darren, she could no longer be cat. Yeah, and they decided it was time to take her eyes at that point. A normal process for an acolyte, but early in one's life to actually do it. It also came with an admonishment that who lives and who dies is not up to them, but to the many-faced God. Later that night, the blind girl went out as a beggar to learn secrets. She donned her face with the help of the waif. A face with scars from a pox and an ugly mole with a hair growing out of it. She didn't mind being ugly. No one ever thought she was pretty anyway. Well, she thinks. Except her dad. And John. Her family was all dead anyway, so what did it matter? Well, except John. And he wouldn't even recognize her as the blind girl. And that made her sad. Makes me sad, too. But she makes her way through the muggy, foggy city in her ragged, faded rags that she called Beth's clothes. Three daggers hidden on her for protection. Past the temples, she goes, of varying religions, and past the many inns and taverns that she knew well as Cat of the Canals, and could recognize now by scent. She begged at a different place each night so as not to wear out her welcome, and tonight it was Pinto's. A kindly man, Pinto would frequently let her inside and feed her, and tonight was no exception. Watered wine, stinky cheese, and half an eel pie was a bountiful meal. As she ate, a cat curled up with her in her seat, a cat unfooled by Beth the blind girl, recognizing Cat of the Canals. And as the sailors poured in, Beth listened for information to all the different tongues, and now again felt that she could see them through the cat's eyes. 
In the morning, she had three new things to share with the kindly man. The ship, the good heart, had been seized by the sea lord for slaving. The slaves were wildlings who had come from Hardhome in Westeros, and that he, the kindly man, is the one who's been hitting her. And with that, she snapped her stick out and wrapped him on the fingers. And how could a blind girl know that? he asked. I saw you, Arya thought. I gave you three. I don't need to give you four, the blind girl said. Perhaps another day she would tell him about the cat that followed her home from Pintos, the cat that had watched them last night. Or perhaps she would keep that secret for herself. Now at supper that night, her drink was different. It burned like fire, and only bread and more bread could abate the burning. The following morning, when her wolf dreams ended and she opened her eyes, the once blind girl saw a dancing flame atop a candle. And Arya had never seen anything so beautiful. I noticed you called her Arya there, Skad. I did. I like that. I like Thanks. that. Thanks. I think that was intentional. It was. Generally, it was. the good things that you do are intentional. <laughs> and yet, there were a lot of bad things in that summary. I misspelled clothes, like the different kind of clothes. There's sentences that stop in the middle. Man, I apologize, guys. That's like the worst <laughs> summary maybe I've written. Except for the end. I really did like the end. I meant it to be poetic. You did yeah. great, man. You did great. You always do. You always no, do. It's interesting that, uh, you know, we've we've called it like a chastisement that she gets for, or an admonishment that she gets for killing Darian. But it seems like this fast track is almost like a reward. So what is it, Julie and Scott? Is this a punishment or a reward? Or is it an effort to keep her corralled before she hmm. okay. just goes off and starts killing whoever she feels like? <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it's a good okay. question. Let's keep it's... her close. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, okay. maybe, maybe they think, maybe he thinks that he can't teach her the lessons without getting her in this state. That she'll learn these lessons in this state, and yeah, kind of, kind of the same along the yeah. same lines as corralling mm -hmm. her. I yeah. like that. I like that. I think. Yeah, I'm gonna lose her real quick unless, <laughs> unless yeah. we mix mix her the milk. Let's get some milk going here. Yeah. Yeah. Or she gone. Yeah. And you're right. It could be seen as a reward because it is kind of pushing her along to the next step. But it's also, it is also kind of like an admonishment too. It's like, now hold on. You can't just go doing this thing. Like we got rules, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But we're still going to fast track you. <laughs> yes. <right. laughs> she pretty much fast tracked herself, I think. Yeah. This is true. This is true. Yeah. Hmm. She also says when she about that, she says, I killed Cat when I killed that singer. Except not, because we know in the next chapter she becomes Cat again. Which is only like a month later. So it's a little weird. She well, becomes Cat again. Yeah. Yeah, they send her back out. But I think she... Right. If I recall correctly, she's surprised by that. And Yeah, uh, I, I think she is surprised. I'm surprised. I'm surprised they would send her back out as the, cat. The family yeah. she was staying with, Brusco and his daughters, are like, oh. Yeah, whoa. 
Huh? Why are you here now? Okay. You again? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's weird. Um, uh, she so that's the identity she assumes Matt when she's kind of learning about her target, right? Yeah, I was just clarifying and, what yeah what you're talking about. But it's weird. Yeah. I mean, it hasn't been that long, and they made her take that away because she'll she'd be recognized. So it's weird they're letting her kind of go back to it. Mm-hmm. I, I also love wondered the cat if there character. Was... Just as kind of an aside. Oh, sorry, Julie. This is kind of changing subject a little bit. So you go ahead. Oh, I sort of also was that sentence. Hmm. When she acknowledges, I killed Cat when I killed that singer, I wondered if it was in any way harkening back to the, a play on words with her mother's name. Somehow, like she killed part mm. of her childhood, something. Mm. Maybe not. She's killed before, but she's maybe not killed quite in the same way. I don't know. No, no, yeah, she hasn't. I mean, she didn't have to kill Darren not to save herself. Right. The stable boy, for example, could be argued she needed to kill him, right? Or she felt like she needed to in the morning. Right, or even the guard. And the guy at the gate to get out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And definitely Tickler and, was it Tickler? Tickler and Polliver and... Polliver. Those guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it it is a different kind of kill. It's interesting though because uh, you say like it, you know, it killed part of her childhood. It's kind of the kill that embraces her childhood the yeah. most because she's enacting the laws of her of her father, not her mother named Cat. But it's right, that is interesting to think about. And funnily enough, Julie, my aside was related to Cat as well, and how um, she has this name. Harkening back, of course, to her mother. Uh, but the character she assumes as Cat of the Canals is the absolute antithesis of everything Catelyn Tully would stand for and want her to be. She's body, she's yes. vulgar, she's yes. all over the place. It's she's... exactly what Catelyn would hate most and was trying yeah. to learn out of her, educate out of her, her and whole life. Dirty and and uh, stinky and not. Yeah, it, just not ladylike at all. It just yeah. made me chuckle. That's great. That's so art. Imagining, That's so imagining Catelyn Tully saying, well, describing camel anatomy is, uh, it seems unlikely. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> and that's her go-to line. That always gets her. It's a go-to. Over. Yep. Cat <laughs> yeah. of the canals. Maybe my favorite Arya character. Do you have a, anyone have a favorite Arya? My favorite Arya is Arya. Oh, fine. There's never really not Arya. <laughs> um, you guys want to get into this uh, faceless man stuff? Should we just go there? We've been dancing we, around we, it. We could, it's yeah. it's probably my least favorite thing. Let's get out of the way. <laughs> Why is it your least favorite thing? Kick us off there. Well, I mean, I've gone. I you know, I'm not a religious guy. We've been through this ground before. But I find every, all all of the religions in in this in, in this series pretty problematic. Sure, and this is maybe the worst one because it, it, the the rules don't they don't add up to me to anything logical in any sense. And I know religion is not about logic, but they take money to kill people and then mm-hmm. say it's the many faced God choosing. The yeah. many faced God isn't choosing anything. The person paying you is choosing. So I don't I don't understand how they can even 
look themselves in the mirror and claim this to be true. Yeah, and right. it, that one hypocrisy is enough to just wreck the whole thing for me. That's like why the it's whole all house, crap. all these, all these rules and lessons and stuff that she's learning. I'm like, it's crap. Because it this, they're to. based on this one hypocrisy, mm-hmm. right? Yep. The many-faced god is the client. That's the yeah. many-faced god, <laughs> and I guess yeah. that makes sense because they all have faces and they're all giving these men money to kill people, and that's all it hate... comes down to. I actually don't hate the religion part of this one. The religion part of this one where, you know, all of, all of the gods really answer to this one. Sure. Right? The death comes for us all. In the end, we're all meat. And, you know, whatever whatever you believe, you're dying in the end. And so it kind of, you know, I kind of get that. But the dogma of, you know, the, the not the dogma, I guess, but the way they enact that belief structure doesn't make any sense at all to me. I can't. Yep. I can't reconcile it all, so it just bothers me a lot. I don't think there is a. I think it. It the religion is there is no uh, commitment to it or real. I don't know the word. There's no intensity behind it or anything. It's all just a front. It's just a front for the business, for money. And we see that today, right? These mega churches or you know different religions have different reasons for doing things, but. Um, or different churches have different reasons for doing things. But uh, I think that's all this is. So it's I, all crap. I agree. I have an idea as to where George R. R. Martin may have gotten the idea for <laughs> the many-faced God. Um, yes. In, I just looked it up. It's in the book of Acts from the New Testament. Acts 17 verses 22 through 31, evidently, according to the internet. But I do remember this story from when I was a kid. Uh, the Apostle Paul is traveling and he gets to Athens and he's traveling around preaching, doing his thing. And he, I don't, I don't know exactly. It's not much of a story. He He's wandering around Athens looking at like all the gods represented. Like I'll just think of like the Acropolis and all the. Okay, that may not be what the Acropolis is. Whatever, all the temples, temples to Athena and temples to whoever. Statues, yep. Gods mm-hmm. everywhere, statues and everything. And he's like, whoa, there's a ton of gods here. Which, what does that kind of remind you of? Bravos, which is just like lined with temples to everything. And in the story, he stumbles upon this small kind of no-name or not exciting altar. And the inscription says it's been erected to the unknown god. Hmm. And then Paul has a whole sermon preaching about And I don't remember what his point is. That's not important. I think it's something like, see, amongst all these false idols, you y'all have recognized here the unknown God. That's really God. I don't know what his point was. I'm a terrible. And he should be the only one. That's that was Church Paul's big kid. thing. He talks about that all the time. Is that there's one God that you should worship, and it's God the Father. Well, yeah. and I Anyways. think possibly his point was somewhat universalist did not i don't remember maybe like any god you worship if you're doing the right thing you're worshiping the true god if you're doing something right then yeah yeah Yeah. so and that i think was his point but so really paul's point was not my point the setup of paul's (laughs) the setup was my point that there's this city with just these amazing temples and so many different gods and religions being represented yet then there's this one little nondescript altar that's to the unknown god it just 
really to me reminiscent of the whole idea behind yeah. the many face god mm -hmm. i'm still waiting for paul to throw the axe when does that happen not paul that i know so it was the book of acts no. <laughs> yeah not that kind of Come thing. on, man. I got a smirk from Matt. Oh my he, doesn't, he doesn't appreciate it. Thanks, doesn't everyone, for it. joining us. We'll see you next time. <laughs> um, anyway. Interesting. I that's like just, that. That's always Bravo's and everything about it. And House of Black and White has always made me think of that little. I love that. Little bit. The from... faceless God, him of many faces, is meant to be. You know, the black goat, the lion of the night, the stranger. Yeah. All of them. He's yeah. all of them. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Anyways, I don't know. It sounds like we're all in agreement here. This whole thing is just a bunch of crap. <laughs> it's a bunch of crap. Which, I well, mean, I, the, I, the Apostle I, I think at agree. least the way they go about it, the way they go about it in practice is crap. I don't, I don't know that the idea is necessarily terrible. It's an idea the, to to fund their assassin organization. It's a front. Well, that's bad. That yeah, that's bad. That the way they go about it is bad. The idea of the many-faced god in concept isn't. I don't find that any more objectionable than any of the other ideas. Yeah, but now that I think about it, how much funding is that actually bringing to the faceless men? I think I think the faceless men business is more lucrative than the actual temple, right? Because they. It, it costs a tremendous amount of money per hit. Yeah. That's where the funding's coming. So is this like a money laundering thing? <laughs> I don't... So so you're saying what happens to all the money they do when they execute a contract? I just... I, I, I guess like, maybe does it I come don't back get here? the religion part. I, I was, first, I was like, they have the religion as a front to cover up the faceless man business. Oh. The business of killing. Um, but then I don't really see the point then of having the House of Black and White in the first place. So maybe there is some conviction behind it. That was the word I was trying to think of before, conviction. I don't know. Because I don't see the point of having the House of Black and White otherwise. Well, they don't other have than temples to all over faces. the place. Right? This they don't the have one. temples all over the place. Yeah. yeah there's, so it is a little weird. It's not like they're using the money to go expand their outreach program to like right. you know yeah. make more people aware of it or anything build not, more temples right they're not doing anything i know like something that. About, so i know something about that no right. and the cost I mean, is so prohibitively expensive that like even i mean the kings of westeros are like ooh, that yeah just a little oof. much we're not gonna waste that kind of spend that kind of money so they only really need like one hit a year a year to yeah. fund the whole temple everything. they've got what eight right. people working there nine yeah but like if you if I think I get where you're going, Matt, it's like if I pulled the kindly man aside and was like everything aside, like what's your like what's your goal? What, what are, are you, you guys doing? trying to do? Yeah, what like, are what, you doing here? Yeah, like when you when you die and you go to face the many faced god, like what do you hope you've accomplished? <laughs> like what are you what are you aiming at? Like what are you right. trying to do? It ah, seems like that's a great way of putting it. I just don't understand. Yeah. I don't know, I guess I assume it's like it probably started as a sincere religious organization that just got too big for their boots, much like yeah. you know, the medieval Catholic church that was just like huge and bloated with money because they taxed everyone so heavily, yet there was still some genuine religion still underlying it. 
Maybe. That's Maybe? A good, that's a good comparison. It's my assumption. Yeah. But that's probably no, more... Because now I'm talking myself into this corner of, well, maybe there is some sincerity and conviction behind this. Otherwise, why would they even have it? But this is what I'm saying. The conviction it. to what, though? That's my point. All they care about is the end state. They don't yeah. care about how you live or any of it. Just so, like, you all die. they care about is that you die. Well, it's going to happen inevitably to everyone anyway. So, like, what is the point? What is What are you exactly. aiming at? Why do you offer this well, service of just letting people die? Other than, do you, are does it to collect faces? Is seriously is that the goal? Because I don't understand otherwise. Because they it isn't to make yep. money. They make money by their hits, by the assassination stuff that they do. I think that funds everything. This yeah. is like library fines. Like you know the stuff they get in the House of Black and White. <laughs> the money they make is comparable to the fines you pay to the library for a late book, ten cents a day, or whatever. You know. And I'm I'm with you, Julie. I'm like, let's let's assume that it is that that they do believe it, that it is they are all in, and that they are, you know, they really believe in this. But believe in what? That everyone dies? It's an easy thing to practice. You just wait. (laughs) Like you, yes, but they're you're ready to. They're helping. I mean, I mean, there's whole huge hospice organizations across this nation of ours, helping people to die easily. More easily. Okay. With dignity. Okay, so if that's the goal, you'd think they would have outreach and more temples where they could help more people do this safely and peacefully and serenely. That I would be like, okay, that's a mission. That's what they're trying to accomplish. These guys don't do any of that. Are you certain they They don't? They just... Well, that's fair. I haven't heard of any other houses of black and white, any other temples of the many-faced god. Maybe they work more discreetly through the other religions like the stranger is their version of the many-faced god for the other thing and they offer that service discreetly in some other way with their traveling agents or something i guess that's possible do we hear about multiple franchises of other religions in I mean, there's the steps all over the place major but... cities of essos oh uh well we know we, there's the there's the oh the um, seven and the relorites but they're the like Relor, yeah yeah there's relore temples you know in various places in essos yeah and they talk about you know the black goat and the various religions you know in essos too but That's we don't true. get a lot of it we don't get a lot of it i mean we don't have a lot of focus in essos but i don't know i guess i just i i struggle with like what they're really trying to other than training ninjas to go bring in more money that i don't to know what they do with money. because but they don't. But what do they do with it? Uh, maybe they're funding lords to pass laws they like. I have no idea. But but what yeah. laws would those be? Like I don't know. You could do what you want in Bravos. Um, yeah, I've wondered if they're like in league with the Iron Bank. Hmm. Like if that's hmm. where the Iron Bank can sometimes get its capital or something, hmm. and and exercising influence that way. But. So again, though, then, and so maybe it's just unanswered so far, but like an influence sure. to do what? To encourage people to die? Because <laughs> to keep wars going? I don't, you know, I don't, it's just an interesting question. I still don't really know what they want. I think the Iron Bank is Even the right if track. We There's got to be someone somewhere with all that money because it's not evident that anyone we see here has all that money. Is so living is the good life, yeah. Going so maybe it's... <laughs> has their has their Those sardines are expensive in in, in <laughs> the Purple Harbor or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Well, that was a lot more fun talking about than I thought it was going to be. Yeah, definitely. Mm. I'm going mm. with it's the Iron Bank. I like that. It's, still it's kind of an interesting idea. Yeah. Because we all know that they're out to achieve purposes. Influence. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And they and they want to keep wars going and everything because you know that means more loans and <sighs> it's a mess. It's a mess. Um, what else, everybody? What's well, on your guys' list? I just brought up one that was on mine. The uh, You guys both seemed pretty sad at the part of the summary where Arya was reminisc- reminiscing about not being pretty, except by her her dad thinks she was pretty, and John apparently called her pretty. And uh, Doesn't the kindly man That's say just... it? At some point? No, I don't know. Doesn't she's say... reflecting on her life as Arya and saying that nobody yeah. back home thought she was pretty. Oh, I think it's before she goes... No, it's in the last chapter. The In the one after this? Yeah, the one after this. Mm-hmm. Before she she comes back. And... I don't know, he says, now that you've been ugly, now you can be pretty. Like, uh... like you're pretty anyway. Mm. Which, I don't know if I'd want to be called pretty by... The kindly man by that creeper yeah. yeah yeah leave me alone please get a job get a better job a job with purpose that we understand <laughs> uh i guess i just i just noted it like it feels like Arya's scarred by this sure she's had this impression from her youth that she's not pretty she carries these comments with her everywhere she goes from sansa and from her mom and um you know, just from the general impression that she's not pretty. And she just, it's informed on her personality. And, yeah. you know, to some degree, it wasn't who she was anyway, but she's still, you can tell she's still hurt by it. And I just think it's sad. Yep, I love that. I think that's important to acknowledge that even when someone puts on a strong front and says and even believes to a degree, you know, those things don't matter to me. Yeah. That they can still wound. And leave long-lasting wounds, leave scars, for sure. Well, that's another facet of identity that's kind of been handed to her. It's not necessarily hers, because yeah, I'm big on for sure. Labels for Arya. One is not pretty, so she's like, okay, I'm not pretty. I've I've told that story before on this podcast about my my friend who had the alter ego Uncle Carl in college. Just he'd uh-huh. get raging drunk and like invented this other persona, and then he felt like it was his job to live up to that at some point, right? Like he heard it enough. Arya hears this enough, and she's like, "Yeah, that's who I am. It's, it's a part of me. Give me the scars, bring them on. I'm not pretty anyway." Hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting. This just came to me. That uh, wins spoilers. Anyone listening? Skip ahead twenty seconds. That. Um, she then uses in her wind sample chapter, she uses sexuality to get Raph, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's, she, yeah. It's led to some speculation too about when that takes place because it doesn't seem like she's quite ready for that here where she is now, you know, but she's, she's learned because she's, you know, she's going for it there. Mm-hmm. So, super interesting she she turns it into a tool that she can use 
Yeah. Um, right. Well, it's on. not even... I mean, she's being compared to Sansa, who's supposed to be just amazingly drop-dead gorgeous. But yep. she is in other places <laughs> compared to Lyanna, who's supposed to be beautiful. She's compared to Alice Karstark by John when he finds her in the snow, and she's described as pretty. So, I don't understand. It's not even a fair yeah. thing that's been put on her. You're not. No, pretty. it's not at she all. Don't... Yeah. I mean, yeah. she's nine. I mean, you, you don't. Nobody should be judging a nine-year-old's beauty. Period. It's you're a kid. I mean, it's. Right. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to know another way I identify with her? So I have dark brown hair and I'm short and I've always been really small. And when I was a kid, I was really small and really short and had dark hair and on my dad's side of the family I had cousins and aunts and my grandmother on that side all tall and blonde and beautiful and ever since I can remember it was always like oh it was a thing the wood women are so beautiful and then there's Julie Mm. and so Mm -hmm. I I get it I mean I think I'm fine looking I'm over it now but I'm also like way older than 12 <laughs> so <laughs> i've had many years to get over it but, but i was not yeah. over it at age 12 yeah and i mean sure. it sounds like it stuck with you it informed yeah. on probably a little bit on who you became and how you got that way right i mean oh i'm certain it had some effect and that resilient yeah. spirit you have now for sure yeah yeah i'll take it Matt, you teased you teased you that you had some things that you learned about the cat, maybe. Oh yeah. That made you think differently about oh, her yes. skin changing. Yes. Yeah. Um. Uh, going back to what you said about her potentially being even more powerful than Bran. Um, normally, when you see Bran, and I think even like when Varamir wargs it's done while they're sleeping. Or it, what happens to their physical body, if I understand this right, is they essentially become like a husk, right? They're just comatose almost. Yeah, so catatonic. Yeah. While this is happening. Arya, at least from what I'm reading here, it's not explained super well. She's in the, she's in the tavern, right? Listening to the three men, the Lyceni men, talk about what went on at Hardhome and all of that. And she's listening through the cat. Right. She says she couldn't hear what they're saying, but the cat could hear what they were saying. And again, it's not explicitly laid out, but I get the impression what I'm inferring from it is that Arya is still functioning as blind Beth in that scenario, sitting in the tavern like a normal person, almost like she's got an earpiece in her ear and a microphone on the cat listening to what the cat is saying in some sort of skin changing while she is still functioning as a regular human. And if so, that's like legit miles ahead of where Bran is at in ability to function during the skin changing stuff. And maybe even Varamir six skins. You know what I mean? Yeah. So just, I'll, I'll just read this little passage real quick, kind of relating what you're talking about. The Lyseni took the table nearest to the fire and spoke quietly over cups of black tar rum, keeping their voices low so no one could overhear. But she was no one. 
and she heard most every word. And for a time, it seemed that she could see them, too. Remember, she's blind. Through the slitted yellow eyes of the tomcat purring in her lap. One was old, and one was young, and one had lost an ear, but all three had the white blonde hair and smooth fair skin of Lise, where the blood of the old freehold still ran strong. So she can't see eight people. She would have no way of knowing they're blonde. She'd have no way of knowing one of them was missing an ear. It even says that she put a leather strip around her eyes when she got in the costume, to your point. So you mentioned the hearing. I think she actually, I feel like from what I'm reading, she's hearing as Arya, as, as the blind girl. But she's everything she's seeing is with the cat. So, it's, but it's the same point you're making. It's like she's doing both at once, right? She's right? still functioning as Arya while she's yeah. also using the cat as a tool. Exactly. Yeah, she did not leave her body mentally. Right. right. Which is you're right. That's different than I don't think we've seen Varamir do it. I don't think we've seen Bran do it. Maybe I'd have to go read the Bran stuff a little closer. But yeah, I agree. But and, and, but. To Julie Best's point about uh, her training in the House of Black and White actually Mm. enhancing that sense, it's teaching her, the kindly old man and the waif are teaching her to use all of her senses except for sight. This is kind of like we would have five senses and we'd be working on four of them if we were in the House of Black and White, right? Well, Arya kind of has six senses already and you take away the sight one, so she's still working on five with that extra one being this third eye right or this ability to to skin change so she's still working on every sense she has she just has one more than everybody else does yeah well and another thing so when veramir or even now i'm not talking with the direwolves because they don't seem to react like this but veramir or bran going into hodor like non-dire wolf mammals seem to be very unhappy with being war resistant mm-hmm. like they just do not like it um but the cat follows Arya home and first of all yeah. when she's sitting there and it's purring in her lap and she's warging him to see he's purring he's not resisting he's like yeah it's cool he's pleased see through my eyes mm-hmm. and then he follows yeah. her home and that's how she's able to see who it is that's hitting her yeah, I can't remember. I feel like there's text in there somewhere. <laughs> this is Davos' fingers at our best. Let's reach back into our brain and hope we get it right. I feel like there's, I feel like there's context around which animals fight and which ones are okay. And like the more domesticated ones usually are more okay with it. I think that's in but the Baramir chapter. It might be. I don't remember. Yeah. But yeah, like the boar fight fought like crazy. The eagle fought a lot until he kind of like broke them you know almost yeah, like breaking some come horse. become more submissive as right as they get kind of used to it but the cat knows Arya, and i wonder if that's one of the reasons that george is very clear about her recognizing that it's cat is that she's got a bond with that animal already and so um it's easier but i think you're implying something a little different which is cool that maybe she's got more skills at skin changing to keep the animals calmer than the others do I think that's what you're implying. That's interesting. That's interesting too. I like that. Hmm. I never thought about it. Because she's just doing it natively instead of like trying to force learn. Yeah. So she's just (laughs) like, let me be in there with you instead of taking control. Right. Let's, let's jive together. Let's play some music together. Well, cause that's how she's interacting with her wolf (laughs) in her dreams. She's not forcing anything. She's not, she's just going along with the ride. So yeah, 
That's interesting. So if that's how she's learning how to do it when she's asleep, then she's going to be equally gentle when she's awake, at least for now. I feel like there's another parallel in some in another piece of fiction, but I can't put my finger on it. Where it's like, if yeah, if you do it easy, if you like learn how to do it right, it's not invasive, but it's yeah. Where you're just hanging out instead of yeah trying right. to control. That's a cool idea. It's a cool idea. I like it. Um, I love Ari. <laughs> Anything, what else you guys got in this section here? Um, I love it when, uh, you know, Arya, you mentioned Scat is so isolated in this part of her arc. But we do get a little bit of Westeros in here, or, or at least beyond the wall mm. with the hard home stuff. And I love it when George brings these things into the most unexpected of places. And you learn about the slave ships and what's going on with the... Uh, with the wildlings and it all kind of connects. What's really funny is how this all connects. They talk about how the prices of slaves is rising in Essos and how this was such a boon for these slavers to find all these people just waiting ignorantly at hard home. Well, why are the prices of slaves rising in all of Essos? Because Danny's freaking freed all of them, you know, like, so it all connects and it's really cool to see how all of this is happening. And he's so clever in the way that he can do that. Uh, I'm trying to think, do we know, does anybody else know about this good heart vessel and everything going down with the slavers having all these wildlings and essentially establishing a slave trade? Well, of... yes. John gets John. a letter. Right. He gets a letter much later. So this uh -huh. is again a problem with the timeline I have. He gets a letter from, uh, so he, so he Cotter, dispatched, right? I think actually he worked with Tycho Nestoris to get uh, his ships so that he could send Cotter Pike up to Hardholm to right. check in on the wildlings. He then gets a letter from uh, Cotter Pike. Cotter, yeah. He gets no Cotter Pike. Pike sends a letter to John mm -hmm. saying, mm -hmm. "Like I'm stuck. You got to send help, right?" Um, and and detailing some of what Arya's what Arya's chapter shows here. But there's a huge time gap between this when these when this ship gets taken and when John gets that letter from Cotter Pike. I don't really, I don't really love the timeline difference, but we don't need to dwell on this. But the yeah. chapter so right John before, finds out John knows this. about the need for ships to take the people from Hard Home. Right. Yes. Yes. That's why he right. sends Cotter Pike. Right? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. But does he know that think. there's a a ship that's taken a whole buttload of women and children to lease, who were not I expecting to go there? I as think slaves. it's. I think it's in the letter. Okay. But I, he doesn't know it right now. According I made a to, note to go back and find the letter, and then I never actually did. <laughs> I'm seeing it in my notes right now. I'm like, oh, crap. I missed that part of my study. <laughs> yeah, I think the letter indicates that, but but he doesn't know it now in, at this point. Because as far as they know, they said, hey, we'll take you. We'll get you to safety and everything. Loaded up the women and children, and then they were just gone. Yeah. Yes. Right. But I think, I, th I see what you're saying. How was how did Cotter Pike figure out that they were slavers? Right. I don't know. But the thing I read last night indicated that the letter knew. I don't remember how. But anyway, interesting. And it was a wood witch who told all those people to go hard home. Who is this wood witch? That's what I want to know. But the wood witch also though called them slavers while they were putting them on board. So it's weird. 
And she, but she was also the one that said they would find salvation if they went to hard home. Right. Yeah. So. Yes. It's very, very confusing. <laughs> salvation is slavery, I guess. I don't know. Oh man. I'm also, I'm also a little weirded out by the fact that these slavers are just wandering around having beers. Like Bravos doesn't like slavery. It's outlawed. They're, they they took their boat. They took the right. ship and they're like, ah, go ahead and you know, go do whatever sailors do when they arrive at port because it's fine. Like, shouldn't they be being punished or I don't know something? You'd think so. Yeah, I would think so. I do get, think so. Yeah, you get flayed or something, but yeah, it does seem like they're getting off kind of easy. At least banished, like Jorah Mormont. Yeah. All slavers are banished. Oh, I liked how um, in reading the John chapter that's right before our Arya chapter, when John is thinking about that, when he when he knows they have found a young woman out in the woods and he thinks it's Arya and he's like, oh, mm -hmm. great, it's Arya, she's alive. And then he's like, what the heck am I going to do with Arya? So he's trying to figure out. He, he doesn't know yet that it's not Arya. Sorry, spoiler. Right. Um, so he's like, okay, what am I going to do with it? Or am I going to, I guess she'll, I'll just figure out a way to get her to Old Town. Anyway, he says um, the best solution he could see would mean dispatching her to Eastwatch and asking Cotter Pike to put her on a ship uh, to someplace <laughs> across the sea, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but then he's thinking like, all right, where is she going to go? Perhaps uh, Bravos was the nearest of the free cities, though, which made it both the best and the worst choice. Lorath or the port of Ibn might be safer. Wherever he might send her, though, Arya would need silver to support her, a roof above her head, someone to protect her. She was only a child. Oh. And I'm just like, John, you have no idea. <laughs> what this girl has done. She this does child. not need any of those things. <laughs> I would argue she does need them. She craves them, certainly. Okay. But uh, she's certainly capable. Yeah. Is what you're saying. Like, she's... Yeah. She's made it this far without a protector. Or a roof over her head. Or any of that. Yeah. Right. It's just... About time Although you could say... Aria. She had temporary protectors here and there. That's true. But, yes. Yeah. Here and there. Yeah. Fast as a deer. <sighs> I don't have much more. I love yeah. Pinto. He's kind of a Pinto. fun dude. He's kindly. He Arya describes him as kindly. Yes. She's okay. heard his story dozen a dozen times before. A dozen time in th a dozen times in three weeks, rotating amongst multiple begging spots. I'm just saying. Just saying. It's my timeline thing again. <laughs> Scat on his timeline kick. Just, I just yeah. don't even look at it anymore. I'm I know. With it. I know. <laughs> Time's a big deal to me. There's never um, I do his laundry too for him. Pinto? Like, yeah, he needs yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Sounds like he needs it. Yeah. Just just give me give me he's, a laundry bag. He's, once a he's week. fragrant. He's fragrant. I got you, brother. I got you, brother. Yeah. I got some great dryer sheets that are would really just help you know, all those clothes sm come out smelling great. Um <laughs> I love uh, kind of tracking the stuff, like keeping track of what Ari is learning here, because I think it's kind of commonly accepted, and maybe we should challenge this assumption that Ari is going to go back to Westeros 
and wreak havoc, right? Go on this, uh, at least on the people that she feels she needs to get revenge on, right? Um, and so I love just like imagining like these superpowers that she has just developing while she's in the house of black and white. So she's learning, help me add things to this list. She's learning how to speak other languages without an accent. So she sounds like a native speaker, which is pretty cool. Learning all about poisons and other concoctions. She's got her heightened sense senses to the point that she can feel air currents on her skin. Tell people by their scent and the patterns of their footfalls. She can hear lies. Um, she can fight without seeing. Uh, what else? I mean, just her general resilience and, you know, as it is, goes up. Uh, she's not she's got all the handouts. lessons from Sirio from before, right? Yeah. Kind of to add into all of that. Water and to enhance. Stuff. Yep. Right. She knows about moss growing on trees. <laughs> she does not know that. That That's going to end up being her downfall. <laughs> Freaking moss. Uh, I mean, she's learning how to change her face, I presume. Mm-hmm. I, right. You know, yeah. Maybe Ooh, her, uh, I mentioned this in the Cat of the Canals chapter, her social skills. I was about to say, yeah. she's learning how to sell. Yeah. And make yes. friends. Make friends. Yeah. Get into good graces with. Get people mm-hmm. to tell her things. To, I mean, to steal. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. Cut a purse and steal as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. Lots, lots of survival skills. She's learning she's all learning. about all the currency. Like. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. She doesn't even need to, like see it right she can just feel it well, she's this feeling she's all... like which king is this could you tell someone like george yeah, washington yeah. from feeling it again all in three weeks <laughs> oh my gosh Ged, shut up <laughs> but she's becoming this formidable figure that's yeah. gonna come over and wreak havoc like she i just feel like she could just have her way Amongst yeah. the people of Westeros. Now, how will she do against others in the undead? Maybe we'll see. Uh, Hopefully she doesn't. I know. Yeah. I know. TV shows are a thing. But well, I just don't... It doesn't... Narratively, it doesn't speak to her arc at all. She's not involved Fighting in the undead. Yeah, it's not... Yeah. She's got her whole interpersonal family revenge sure. stuff going on. It doesn't... I mean, you know, a lot of people believe that in the end, the others are going to kind of gather all comers for the storyline right and it's going to be everybody against them and so you know Arya will use her skills there but it doesn't really it doesn't narratively fulfill me no i don't don't want her to fight others it does seem like like everyone's on a crash course to eventually meet up against the undead but how or will that happen yeah who knows yeah but uh she's certainly becoming this figure that is going to do some major damage to anybody yeah or at least be capable of it right i mean this guy could this this aria could easily stand up to jamie lannister or any other formidable westerosi guy yeah i mean or maybe not, like a, along. not like in a fighting ring yeah, yeah not in a fighting a, ring but yeah, right. you'll sneak into their bedroom and boom yes. they're gone you know yeah yeah brienne anybody she could kill kings with this poisoning that she's learning. Like she could do anything. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of exciting and scary at the same time. I think that's what, I think that's what, what, you know, to your earlier point, I think that's what they see mm-hmm. in her. 
is the mm, potential mm-hmm. to, to do these things. Right. So even but if anyway. she's a bit of a rogue agent, she's the best agent we have, so we'll keep her around. <laughs> kind of thing. Depends on who's going to pay for her services, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, she figured out how to kill that insurance agent guy. And that was... She did. That was hard. He was well-guarded. Yeah. yeah. Tasted his Ooh. food. Like... And they didn't give her any guidance. They said, kill that guy. Yeah, she, she just watched him for half an hour. Sorry, three days. Add, add that to her list of skills. <laughs> three weeks, whatever. Watching. <laughs> Deduction. Add that to her list solving. of skills is, is problem solving and patience. Mm-hmm. She's not going to be impulsive and make a mistake by just acting off of feelings. She has the ability to stop and consider and find the best course of action and execute it even if it takes a little bit more time well gaming Lying it out and acting i don't know if you yeah yeah figuring it out yeah that's true problem solving yeah. right a- acting and lying too i don't know if you mentioned those but she's learning those skills also very good yep yeah Although, not only identifying liars but lying herself yeah and a lot of this is just a continuation on just life lessons from her shit time in the riverlands I mean, learning about human nature there, the worst of human nature, yeah. so... Lamy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, I love that as part of her motivation, Julie Beth, because she felt somewhat helpless in those situations. And I wonder if this is kind of that resilience is like, I'm not going to get caught in a situation where I'm going to be helpless again. Like, Give me all the skills. Well, yeah, or like where helpless. she has the three deaths given to her by Jack and Hagar. Yeah. And she and squanders them. Chooses them, oh. and she's all, "Oh, I could have, yeah." <laughs> Dang it! I mean, she already made her mistakes back there. Right. Yep. The moss Great and the mistakes. tree. Now she knows. Listen. <laughs> I don't know that she does. Yeah. <laughs> I still. I'm not sure. How I know it. She's like this formidable fighter, but she can't get anywhere in Westeros because she just has <laughs> terrible navigation skills. That's what I'm it's gonna going to come down in circles. to. How do I get to the twins? I can't find them. I tried following the moss. <laughs> she needs some training in the Lorathi mazes. She does, yep. I mean, that's yep. just a hop, skip, and a jump from where she's at now. It is. It's very How close. far? Yep. Yep. All right. Um, I think that's my last big note is, uh, is that. you have any other notes of consequence? My biggest note was just the House of Black and White is bunk. And so we covered that. <laughs> we covered that heavily. Yes, we did. <laughs> well, let's let's end this let's, with getting to know Julie a little better, huh? Yeah, let's hear your Song of Ice more. and Fire story, your journey. How how did you find it? I think you hinted earlier that you You hinted. Was... We tried to stop you from telling too much because we want to hear it here. Oh, sorry. Yeah, honestly... I'm not certain I recall because the two people involved deny. <laughs> They're like, it wasn't me. Huh. It was either my like best no friend, Bethany, or my husband, Dutcher, who were like, oh, stop complaining that you have nothing to read. Just why don't you read that? I hear it's good. And there's a TV show coming out in a couple of years. And I was like, all right. So I started reading. Like, I've always known the Game of Thrones was out there because I tend to haunt bookstores and especially the sci-fi fantasy section of bookstores. So I'd always oh. seen them. I was aware they existed, but I was like, yeah, they just looked cheesy. The covers were bad. The covers were bad. Yeah. yeah. 
So <laughs> I picked up the Game of Thrones, and then that was it. I read the first yeah. four, and then had to wait a little bit, and then Dance came out. Maybe Dance came out before I finished Feast, and I was all excited because I had had that. Something and I think to just go right into, yeah. That's right yeah. when I started buying books on Kindle, so I didn't have a paper copy of it. I only have a copy. Oh, y'all! My copy of Dance with Dragons. I got this at the used bookstore at the public, big, glorious public library in your city. When we visited there. It is there, a glorious library. Nice. It was amazing. It was it's a cool library. $2. Yeah. But $2. I found That's that steel. there and I was like, well, I don't have this one in paper. There you so go. Anyway. You just buy them. Yep. Yep. Just buy them on it. Um, yeah, so that's my story. I'm okay. sticking to it. Two people who and deny the, it now and who also never really got into it. <laughs> themselves. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, usually it takes like some evangelist to be like, read this. I read it and it's great for for me to pick something up. And they're like, oh my gosh, just shut up, Julie. Here, <laughs> yeah. just read. I this don't is know long. This. Yeah, Here, this will go. take you a while. Oh, well, that... <laughs> if you're going to ask me how I got into the fandom, that my I long am. suffering... This is the next been... one. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Go, go. So I started reading the books, and I was like, these are amazing. So I started looking online, like, and I remember the night I, like, I think I was, we were sitting on the back porch, hanging out, having a beer or something, and I was looking on my laptop and I found it was probably not westeros.org the the reddit um okay I don't know on reddit, yeah, reddit. I found yeah, the, reddit. the reddit group yeah the yeah. r plus yeah. l equals j theory and I was like oh uh. so I'm telling my <laughs> husband I was like there's this guy <laughs> Rhaegar <and he> was... <laughs> my husband's like oh. <laughs> yeah, that dead face I've seen Do I, that am face I, how many yeah. How many times do I get to have to listen to this? A lot more polite than that. But then I just remember, like, just reading every entry in whatever that subreddit was. And I was like, these people, like, analyze the battles. What kind of crazy weirdos are these? <laughs> anyway. Uh. <laughs> yeah, so it was that. And then at some point, my husband, again, he's like, I didn't tell you that. And I was like, no, I think he listens to a lot of podcasts. And I've always listened to, I don't know, politics or whatever podcast. Um, and he was like, I heard about this podcast that some podcasters recommended. It's called uh, the Boiled Leather Audio Hour. And so yeah. that was the first Song of Ice and Fire podcast I listened to. Stefan Sasse and... Yeah, one oh, of the early ones. Pioneer. The, the yeah. other guy who went on to become like prominent writer, and I can't recall his name, um, uh, loved them. And I think they mentioned y'all? I think that's all I can gather. I heard about. Oh no! If boiled they, leather mentioned us, then they mentioned perhaps. I'm Game putting of that on Bones. my wall. I started listening to you because Davos fingers. I was like, oh, that's brilliant. I was just like yeah. perusing, and then I really liked you guys. So here I am. Oh, oh thanks. We really like you. Well, yeah, we so really this like works. you back. And I this would, works. I would walk up and down. So Will's 14 now. So he was when he was in kindergarten or first grade so like six or seven years ago i would drive him to elementary school and his street i'm sorry the street his school is on is actually this split boulevard with like trees and it's really nice to walk up and down because they have bike lanes and walking lanes and all this and i would just 
put on podcasts and walk up and down for like an hour, two hours, because I didn't have to be at my job as early as that was, (laughs) and just listen to you guys. I remember like corners I was at when various things you guys discussed. (laughs) Cool. That's awesome. And I would listen to y'all and Game of Owns and um, I don't know, two or three others. And I would like, I started listening to you guys in time, like as you put out podcasts. But eventually I went back and started at the beginning. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank thank so you for listening. That's how I found it. Glad, glad you and glad, glad you found so us. So glad you found us. Yeah. And your logo. It was between your name and your little logo there. And I still want nice. a shirt. I need it. Designed, designed by the Brookie. Yeah. Uh, t-shirts. Costume demon. So, uh, I think though that is the first time I've heard that the name actually got us a listener. Oh, because I was like, this is brilliant! Like, talk about a deep cut, or at least at the time it was very deep cut. Deep cut. I mean, Davos's fingers were cut off. Get it? Yeah, Yeah, I get it. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! (laughs) I think I think I felt regret about the name many times. It's the apostrophe. Huh? It's the apostrophe. Well, the apostrophe is correct. <laughs> it is. It's one grammatically correct. correct. It is. Davos's fingers. We know that. Davos's we know that. Fingers. All right. So who who would you say, Julie Beth, okay. is your favorite minor character in A Song of Ice and Fire, or the supplemental works? Anybody? I'm quite fond of Masha Heddle. <laughs> Masha Heddle. Yeah. All right. I mean, All right. she's that's just... A, that's a shock. I don't think we've ever had that one, for sure. She's just there living a... her life. You know, she's got this inn that's been handed down to her. Running the inn at the crossroads, she gets all these interesting customers. Everyone likes her. You know, whenever the Starks come through, the kids like her. Catalan likes her. I mean, she's just doing her job. Feeding people, giving them a place to stay, talking with all the crazy people that come through. And then what happens? Tywin Lannister comes through and gets all mad just because Catelyn Stark arrests Tyrion there, like months before, years before. And what does he do? He hangs her from the tree in her front yard. He's a freaking idiot. Yeah. Well, yeah, first of all, let's be honest. Tywin Lannister doesn't usually need any excuse at all. But what's funny is he's a lot of times he's like, no, you need to extend the hand of mercy and make friends and stuff. But when it's small folk, who gives a crap? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But also it kind of reminds me a little bit, Julie Beth, of what you were saying about your life earlier in the podcast about it's just she's just proud of her life. She's living her life. She's got her home. She's got her family. She's just doing her thing in her space. Yeah. And she's proud of it and likes it. And so it kind of rings true that you would you would identify with mom. And if I remember right, she's she's she like she's inherited it. Like the crossroads has been in the family. Hasn't it? Haven't there been like former heddles? I believe so. Yeah. So in some backstory, maybe the story of the darks. People in mm. Duskendale. I don't remember where. Somewhere. The Darklands. In some much earlier setting was mentioned earlier heddles. Yeah. 
I just yeah, I like her and too. Then, then there's also the um her presumably her daughter or possibly granddaughter. I don't know how old she is really. Uh, who shows up later in Arya's story in the Riverlands, and the kids have taken over the inn. Yes, yeah, yeah. And when the, the little oldest goonies girl, have taken I believe, over. Yeah, the oldest girl is a heddle, I think. I don't remember. I don't remember that. Well, I don't remember that it was that it was uh, maybe I the the tall skinny gal. Yeah, I remember there was a Willow. I think was her name. She's like a, a leader, right? Yeah, and now I'm wondering if I'm wrong about her being a heddle. But I don't remember it saying either way. Eh. But I think that's a great pick, and I love your reasoning why. I think she's a great pick, <laughs> yeah. and I love why. So what? What? Moving on. What? What do you think? In a song of ice and fire, really speaks to you that keeps you coming back to this series. Julie Beth, I think it's the richness of. George R. R. Martin's writing and the way it just portrays yeah. everything. There's so much detail. I love it. I love mm-hmm. reading about just, I love the sweep and the feel of it, the way mm-hmm. he presents details so that you feel like you're really there in so many ways. I mean, of course he's got the huge story arcs. I love that too. I love to reread and find new things I didn't find before um, in terms of the larger plot, but I don't think I would enjoy that as much if I weren't just swept away into his world because of how well he's built it. That's true. Yeah, you mentioned yeah. that a little bit earlier. How much, how engaged you were with the language itself, and and yeah. without that, that it might engage you a lot less. With I get. That. I think that's a good answer. All of for, his for food you. porn. It's, 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 I love it. Of course you do. But. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, he manages at the same time to have these wide sweeping stories, but then zoom in on Arya at the House of Black and White, right? And you talked about how he speaks through the sensations that she's feeling so well. And I don't understand the people that say that George R. R. Martin isn't a great writer. I don't understand that at all. No, he's amazing. I, I think, Matt, you and I have talked about this a lot of times, but uh, we care so much about things being character driven. And being about development of characters. And I, I saw even earlier today on Twitter, somebody that was a fan of the Stormlight Archives by Brandon Sanderson was um, was about to start reading Song of Ice and Fire. And one of the fans of Stormlight Archives like weighed in and was like, oh, be careful. Like He gets all sorts of extra detail on violence and rape and all these things. And, and I couldn't help myself but respond and, and just say, yeah, and be careful with Stormlight Archives because you'll read 120 pages and not care about anyone. Uh, <laughs> but you'll care about three characters in the first 12 pages of A Song of Ice and Fire and they won't matter. So be careful because you'll care too much. Because that's what George does. He makes you care about every single character. Yeah. Right? It's with, true. with the language he's Or, or care to hate them. But in any case, he makes you feel yeah, feel something for each character. Yeah. 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 You're, maybe it's negative caring, but you're caring. <laughs> Negative yeah. caring. I like that. <laughs> that's Matt. That's my existence. That's, that's what I thrive on. That's fantastic. No, oh, good answer. Good answer. Um, yeah. The so what? What? Uh, mo- moving to the next one. What? What one book character arc do you think you like the best? I feel like it's probably Arya. 
Arya's... But do you have something else for us? She's so up there. I love Arya. I identify with Arya so much. Um, I'd say it's really a toss-up between Arya and Brienne. Hmm. But possibly hmm. for similar reasons. Okay. Um, I don't recall if we talked about this before, earlier. Um, Let's talk about it again. Them, we'll talk about it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, both both of these characters just spend so much time searching for their place in the world in, well, not remarkably mm. different ways. I mean, they have different approaches to finding a place in the world, but they're both just out of place. Everything they do doesn't fit. They're both extremely true to themselves um, without variation. Almost I mean, they just are completely true to themselves. They don't have a hint of artifice. Okay, that does sound like a funny thing to say about Arya. She's all artifice. (laughs) But at her core, she doesn't betray herself. She doesn't give anything up uh, to any external forces. Brienne certainly doesn't. Um, And because of that part of their nature, neither of them fits in anywhere. And I really hope that they can both find where they belong. I don't know where that's going to be for either of them. Obviously for Brienne, she's probably not going to find, you know, the mythical Amazon Island where she will fit in with all the lady knights or anything. Um, Seems unlikely. I can't even imagine where Arya would fit in quite. She'd probably fit in a lot better in our world. Um, I bet she'd have a great nose for business or something. But anyhow, yeah, I think I think those two characters. I tell you what, I think I think Arya in ten years will be even more comfortable with who she is than Brienne is now, right? The things she's going through and and what she's learning about herself, and Brienne is tremendously comfortable with who she is. But I think Arya is going to be even further along with that. Um, but uh, mm, that's interesting. But I also think. You said, you know, Arya is all artifice. I would say her artifice is artifice. I mean, it's it's clear to us that it's not the real Arya. Right. right. And so it's, you know, we recognize it as artifice. Hmm. Brienne is, what, about 10 years ahead of Arya in life? I think... I, I, Brienne's an age I always forget. I feel like she's about 23. She's She's younger than it would seem she is, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Although I'm I guess that's certain. about ten years. I can look yeah. at yeah. So yes, I think by the time Arya's twenty three, she'll be a lot further along than Brienne is. But what was I about to say? Oh how about is it Joe Magician had the theory that pretty Maris is the um is pretty much the Brienne he had developed when he still was going to write in the five-year gap. Oh, interesting. Hmm. And so I just now thought of this, and now I want to go reread the Pretty Maris sections, but I wonder how well-situated she is. She's probably... Ugh. I hope better situated than to become Pretty Maris. She's... Yeah. I, I find Pretty Maris to be pretty dull. <laughs> 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 Not a lot to her. And granted, no. George hasn't spent a lot of time with her. 
But, yeah. No, she's kind of a husk but, of a character, but. But she's also damaged and beaten, you know, and fulfilling a role that she's been given, and all sorts of things that Brienne is, I think, striving against, right? Being yeah, taking the role she's given. So that that's an interesting comparison, I'd say. And now that but, I've brought it up, I'm getting really sad. <laughs> <laughs> Brienne's is, let's move on. Brienne's from... a sad character. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, we can move on. Yes. We can move on. No, I, I I agree with that, though. I just want Brienne to be happy. She evokes sad emotions because to me, she's not comfortable with who she is. No. But she almost has like this dogged determination to still be that person. That even though no, she's yeah, even though right. she's not comfortable with it, she's like, but this is who I am and this is who I have to be. And you're I admire right. her actually yeah. for that. And uh I hate that she has to feel otherwise. I hate that she's not comfortable being who she is because she deserves to be the most comfortable of any character. Well, I mean, well, every character should be comfortable in who they are, but you're right. She, she is completely uh, pressed every second of her life to be something else. And instead she's like, I would love to be that. I am not that. (laughs) So middle finger. And I'm going to be me. I just imagine yeah. like if someone were to give her a back rub, consensual back rub, that it would just be like rubbing a rock. Because she's just so stressed <laughs> just out so and tense all the time. At all times. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, let me rephrase. I hope Brienne finds a place where being who she is makes her happy. Yes, Not just where she where can she be content. Because I guess she, yeah. Pretty Maris fits in with where she's at. But she, I don't believe she is happy. No, um, Ugh, I really don't want that for her. But so I get the comparison. I want her to find a place where she can be happy. Yeah. However, that works out. Love it. She probably won't. So, She's tied to Jamie. That's just not going to end well. <laughs> speaking of which, I feel like I might know your answer to this this next question. Whose POV are you most excited to get and wins? <gasps> Either Brienne or Jamie, whoever comes first, gives us the end whoever of the story. <laughs> Or Stoneheart, or I, yeah. oh, we don't we don't get Stoneheart. Or right Lem, Lem and Clove. Or... <laughs> Lem Lemon Clove. Yeah. Who knows who they'll give us? It's gonna be one of them though, and I'm with you. The, the like we've talked before about Battle of Fire, Battle of Ice, and you know a lot of these kind of bigger, compelling arc kind of related things. But that's the Brienne Jamie thing is maybe the most interesting character wise. We're going to get some very revealing and arc-determining things from that very next chapter, I think. And, and that's going to be right away. I agree. Yeah. Right yeah, away. immediately. It's got to be It's got to be in the first ten chapters of the book. Oh, I hope sure. so. Yeah. I hope it's not like now it's a gonna brief be like, end. It's going to be like it's this Aria. It's going to be that first Aria chapter. They were traveling dance. for a long yeah. time. It's Aria chapter and dance where it comes in like more than halfway through the book. You finally get whatever that first dance Aria chapter is. George with his little hat is like, it's a, it's a long way from Penny Tree to the <laughs> hole they were in. But they'll on, just George. be traveling and traveling and traveling mm-hmm. and traveling. Mm. End of chapter. Yeah, I would say that uh, it, it seems like from these Meet the Kalisar episodes, that's what a lot of people are excited about. You hear that one a reasonable amount. 
that specific I'd chapter. Say, I'd say that's true. Well, whatever chapter it ends up being, the first one we get between the yeah. two yeah. of Jamie yeah. or Brienne or it's, it's 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 a reasonably common answer. I it'd be interesting to go back and check. I haven't been keeping track, but it's probably yeah, I'd bet I bet that's in the top two At or least three. Half of our end yeah. probably are that. And that's not a bad thing. This just shows how uh yeah. exciting this arc is. In tr- yes, and how clever our Kalisar is as well. Well, okay, it's uh Unless you've got anything else, Julie Beth, probably time for a sign. Yeah, yeah. You got one. You got one ready for us. Sure. So, at um, I think I already mentioned this. I'll mention it again. Uh, at Ice and FireCon, I got to do an actual panel, which was big for me because I have never done a panel before. Um, I had to sit up there in front of people and and say things <laughs> and have them listen to me and, and it was exciting yes pontificate. Was, and i didn't see all of it but from what i saw you were great oh it was it was really great and once again maddie k ray and uh maester mary are just wonderful people and helped me feel much calmer about doing this thing in front of people mm. um so and I, I've been just now trying to rem- remember why I don't remember why I brought this up, but um, the panel was on romantic, romantic poetry and a song of ice and fire. So we discussed a lot of specific poems and just the way George R. R. Martin's writing evokes similar themes and thoughts and feelings uh, as romantic poetry did. Um, and for me, it actually evoked a very specific song that I decided needed to be up there in the ranks of romantic poetry or up there with Song of Ice and Fire. So I would like to dedicate this reading of Possum Kingdom by the Toadies. Uh, Give it to us. Here we go. I love it so much. Make up your mind. Decide to walk with me around the lake tonight. Around the lake tonight. By my side, I'm not going to lie, I'll not be a gentleman behind the boathouse. I'll show you my dark secret. I'm not going to lie, I want you for mine, my blushing bride. My lover, be my lover, yeah. Don't be afraid. Uh, I didn't mean to scare you, so help me, Jesus. I can promise you, you'll stay as beautiful with dark hair and soft skin forever forever make up your mind make up your mind and i promise you i will treat you well my sweet angel so help me jesus give it up to me give it up to me do you want to be my angel so help me be my angel be my angel be my angel do you want to die do you want to die do you want to die? Do you want to die? Do you want to die? I promise you, I will treat you well, my sweet angel. So help me, Jesus. 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 <laughs> Three Jesuses. I love that. I'm still going with, do you want to die as a metaphor for orgasm? Mm. 
I know you don't think so. I think it this might have more to do with serial killing, but <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think it's a metaphor of, uh, uh, you know, of I love the comparison, the dichotomy between sin and you know, like the carnal nature of sin, as it's sometimes seen in religion with the angel and Jesus and everything. And that's interesting. Love You'll it. stay as beautiful with dark hair and soft skin forever forever <laughs> it's a it's a promise of <laughs> eternal life with yeah. love that's achieved with everlasting love love it yeah. everlasting keep, love keep telling yourself that <laughs> yeah. i will because <laughs> i am an eternal optimist yeah hey matt you got a sign off for us you betcha i do uh, from the great Dave Matthews, who I'm excited to go see at the Gorge this summer. This is Matt signing off just with a simple line. Turns out not where, but who you're with that really matters. That's for all the Ice and Fire Con peeps. Mm. A nice one. Love it. I hope you're engorged at the Gorge. My sign off is, do not be too eager to deal out death in judgment. For even the very wise cannot see all ends. Perhaps information the kindly man could have given to Arya a little bit more effectively had George been Tolkien. And that's all I got. If Good only, Kalisar. If only. If only. Um, speaking of documents as well, uh, I put in a name for the episode, but I don't love it. Do you have one you'd prefer? <gasps> I forgot to think about the episode name. We can go with mine. I think it works. It's okay. It is good. Here's the one I was, I'll throw out there. I like scads a lot, but this one, the line from the chapter, no one had no tears. That was a really funky, no funkily worded phrase. No tears. That just no stood out tears really funky for phrase. No Hots for nowhere. No. Meat was meat and men were prey. There's yes, meat I like that one. And men were prey. <laughs> Do you want to go with that? <laughs> you know, I both mean, of those meat was meat. Lots of death totally black a lot of death in this chapter. No one had no tears? Or what was it? No tears? Hot peppers and fried fish. Hot peppers and fried fish? I th I've thought a lot about that phrase eat. in the last like week. The phrase? You would not eat? Oh, it sounds so good. Yeah. <laughs> Matt and I are very hit or miss on George's food. <laughs> I'm, oh, yeah, I, I love I have, all of it. I have the appetite and preferences and palate of an eight-year-old child. Did you see my I comment like earlier? Sugary celery, sugary cereal, pepperoni pizza. Sanry said she knows she knows some kids that will only eat grilled cheese, chicken fingers, and mac and cheese. And I said, it's me, uh -huh. kids. <laughs> I did see that. I did not see my, that. It's about my palate again. Yep. All right, what, what was my it? My son yeah. had friends like that. They would only eat buttered pasta. Not... <laughs> sauce nothing yeah. like mac and cheese oh, would be way too, way too much for them just buttered Jeez. pasta what was it matt no tears for no no one had no tears 
No one had no tears. Do you want to go with that one, Julie? No yeah. one had no tears. I like it. No one had no tears. Double negative. Yeah, it's weird. It means that Arya does? No, I don't know. I don't know what it means. Um, okay. It means Arya had no tears. But, but Arya no isn't no one. That's what the kindly man said. She's trying really hard to be no one. She's trying to convince herself that she is. Yes. Yeah, she's working on it. Oh, let's that's not get I, too far into this. That's what I mean, though. Okay. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Okay. This is why we don't talk before episodes. Yeah, we don't ever talk. <laughs> don't spoil it. Don't spoil the good stuff. You gotta bottle it up. <laughs> so that it can burst forth in our moment of climax. What else can I play? Oh, I have my bowed psaltery. That is that really odd instrument that I showed you on the screen earlier. Um, and it sounds like a violin. And I play that actually quite a bit because it's laid out like a piano. So I I can just play it. Huh. I can play a little bit of tin whistle. I can play a little bit of guitar. It's a lot. Oh, I have a... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have a crazy instrument called the Seagull Merlin. Matt, do you know what that is? Nope. Oh! It's a... Right, hold on. I have to show you. Matt has to <laughs> Julia walked away from the, from the recording. <laughs> and she's gone. Sorry. Oh, there it is. The Mexican this giraffe. is my Merlin. So it's a string Oh, my instrument. goodness. It has four strings. Looks like a, like a lute. This is, this is a D that's doubled. The middle string is an A. The lower string is a D. So it's D A B. Three strings. Uh huh. Well, four strings, but that one's. Oh, the D's doubled. Yeah, you said and that. And the frets are a. The uh, diatonic. I don't know the frets. Wow. So. Hmm. Live performance, <laughs> Julie like Beth. It's a banjo like a, kind of thing. Yeah. It's like a banjo ukulele. Yeah. Yep. Funky. Yeah, that's cool. Anyway, it's just this weird little. And it's so teeny, yeah, but it's, it's really loud and twangy. Now, I don't have a room where no one can hear me, so I shouldn't play too many instruments right now. An enemy spy. Wait, is that all the same mm -hmm. person's get? Okay. Because there's not a there's a yeah, comma after I minor character. No, no, no. Should that be it's a minor character? That should be a semicolon. Yes. Minor character extraordinaire okay. is one. An enemy spy, master of dungeons, and lord of dragons is another one. There should have been. Okay, let me do that one again. My bad. Yeah. Let me. Should I just take the whole thing over again? No, this All is right. fine. I can get it. It is not me. No, that I is my dog. <laughs> my bad. Here, I'll hold Chip in my lap and. Maybe he oh, won't hey, Chip. This is Chip. Hey, Chip. Um, 